Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are in no position to be able to defend ourselves in any way whatsoever. Ireland is defenseless. Every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel. Help us. Without G backing us, putting it on the air and telling the people how important it is, then it wouldn't have gone anywhere. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Good morning and welcome to Wednesday's uh, Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM this morning. Now you may have heard the lads talking about the Best of Cork Awards and we will be bringing you more of those shortly. Also coming up on today's show, I'll be talking to a woman who's extremely upset about the Bus Connects proposal, which looks like it's going to run right through her garden. Also, are you a fan of Gogglebox? Well, you could have a chance to be in the show we'll have more on that later and would you be willing to give up your second family car to help cut emissions? Let us know what you think 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96 Now as I said there, the best of Cork Awards, the final takes place on Tuesday August 9th and for the past two weeks you've been nominating places and services that are the best in Cork Now all day today we're announcing the shortlist and voting opens tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock on 96fm.ie. We're revealing the shortlist for best barber, best coffee and best tradesperson. Then stay listening to Simon and Lorraine for more across the day. The Best of Cork Awards 2022 with localheroes.ie. Your place to find trusted gas boiler installers, plumbers, electricians and much more only on Cork's 96fm. Now the lads have been announcing best breakfast and best gym. Later on, we, I'll be announcing Best Coffee and Best Tradesperson. But for now, I'll give you the nominations for Best Barber. It's Mikey's Barber Shop, Peaky Barbers, Asylum Barber Shop, Barber Lane and Franco Barbery. So well done to all of them and get your nominations in from 6am tomorrow. Uh, also this morning, if you're out and about walking around Patrick Street, you might notice something a little bit colourful and a little bit different on the street this morning. Councillor John Mark, good morning. 
Good morning, Fiona. How are things? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad at all. And the John, the the Pride Crossing on Patrick Street was put up uh, late last night, I believe. Yeah, it was. Yeah, after after quite a long time, Fiona. But we got there. Um, you know, it was uh, it was done late last night just because of traffic, and the road was a, a stop go system. You know, and obviously Patrick Street being the the main street in the city um, for for public transport in particular. And um, so that's why it was done kind of late last night. The traffic wouldn't have been as at, at, its, at its busiest and that the, the company that installed it could manage the stop-go system. Um, so, yeah, so we've two new crossings, <clears throat> excuse me, one by, by Brown Thomas um, and one by Easton's. Your listeners will be familiar with it. So, um, so it's, a really positive, um, it's a really positive and welcome addition uh, wow. to Cork City. So, yeah. It's, that's brilliant. So people going to work this morning and going shopping this morning will be able to see this now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, full of colour. I'm actually, I'm actually on Patrick Street as I speak to you. Um, Wave down at you, can uh, I? Yeah, <laughs> I'm waving up. That's me. But um, but no, it is. It's um, look. It, it's just another. It's another um, statement uh, by Cork City Council um, and by the uh, all the interagency groups um, and all all the support groups. You know that that Cork City is is a welcoming. It's open, um, and uh, and it's an inclusive city. And I think. You know, I kind of always made, since getting elected, I always kind of made the argument that lights can be turned on and turned off and flags can go up and come down and they're important and symbols are important. But I think this is a permanent symbol. Um, and I so think it is going that, to be there um, permanently, is it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was done it, again. And, you know, just so your listeners are aware, it's done with all the top spec. It's done <clears throat> within regulations with regards road safety, um, you know, and um, and that's it. This is it's it's a permanent um it's a permanent feature, um, and I think it brings a bit of colour to uh, to Cork City. I know, I know, you would have listened uh, to many callers, Fiona, about you know that 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 the main street um, is a bit drab at the moment, and I think this is one very small step in bringing a bit of colour to it. And we have more work to do on the the vacant buildings, but I think there's a bigger statement with the crossing. You know, um, this is this is this is um, as I said, it's for everyone as well. You know, mm. it's for members of the LGBT plus community. It's also for families, it's for nanas, it's for granddads, it's for aunts, it's uncles, mams, dads. You know, this is for everybody. Um, and I think that's the important thing from the outset. You know, I know I know. just last night uh, when I was there with, with some officials and some members of the interagency groups, you know, I just saw people, some people were very comfortable coming up taking a picture of it. And there were some people from the edge, you know, because maybe they weren't in a position in life, in, in their life, to, to be very comfortable, you know, because maybe mm. they're at a stage where they're not out yet. And you can just see from a distance taking a picture and a small little smile. Um, and I think that's the important thing is that for, for me anyway, the motivation behind this crossing was that for anybody that, that maybe isn't in that position yet or can't, you know, they feel that they can't, is to let them know that, you know, this city is uh, is open, it's welcome. And when you do make that decision, you know, we're we're here we're waiting for you and you're you know, you're loved and, and you will be okay, you know. And I know yeah. that's very hard. That's very hard for somebody, you know, that's at that stage. But I think it's important to reinforce that message. And, John, and I think the, the Pride Crossing goes that way. You've been campaigning for this since 2009 yourself and Councillor Lorna Bogan. It follows a proposal from the Cork Gay Project. Um, uh, Project Rice was a member of the, the, gay, gay, the Cork Gay Project back in 2019 and came up with this proposal. Why did it take so long to come about? Um, honestly, I just think it's bureaucracy, you know, I don't know, you know, it, things just take time, unfortunately, Fiona, 
I um, prior to getting elected in 2019, I thought this would be done, that would be done, regardless of what I'm working on, you know. Mm. Um, and then you realise you realise that when you're doing something, um, you need to involve a number of stakeholders. Um, you know, and this is more than yeah. just the crossing. You know, this is even like building houses. It's putting in a pedestrian crossing. Um, it's putting in a park. It's putting in a bench. You know, mm. it's putting in a public bin. You know, <laughs> and again, some of it frustrates me. Um, but what I've learned in the last three years is that uh, people probably would disagree, but my patience has got a small bit better <laughs> um, because unfortunately, sometimes, you know, it takes time, but it, it was yeah. done, I suppose, um, just uh, it, it people. Uh, first of all, we wanted it done right. And the stuff that we, the, the, again, I'm not a, an engineer or an expert in, in, in the paint that was used. But when we were going to do it in Cork City, we wanted to do it right and that it would be there, it would stay. We weren't going to do a Mickey Mouse job or, you know, a half arse job where the paint starts coming up. This is the, the this is proper road paint. The, the protective thing, it's stuck to the ground. You know, it, it will not be coming up in 12 months where we go, oh, look, what do we do now? Yeah. Also, the ones in Partrick Street are, you know, they are the... Um, it's it's the rainbow flag and the progressive flag and it's got all the colours included, you know. Um, so so again, I think you now again I'm open to correction this, but I would say the first in Ireland um, with 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 that type crossing. And it's so great again, to we, see it. We, it's great. It injects great colour into the city, and I'm sure it's going to be um, on flooding social media sites over the next couple of days as well as people go out and see it and take photographs that, of it. And Councillor, just while it. I have you there, uh, we were speaking yesterday to Councillor Dan Boyle and Mary Rose Desmond about the Bus Connects proposals. And after the break, I am going to speak to a lady who purchased her family dream home only three and a half years ago, and now it looks like the route is going to be going through her garden, and she's not very happy at all about that. Um, you were um, talk- you wanted to talk to us as well about the lack of discussion around alternative routes for this proposal. Yeah, well I suppose Fiona, look, uh, unfortunately, and I, and I look, I sympathise with the caller that's coming on next, is mm. that because this is the problem, is that a plan was announced with a lot of ifs, buts and maybes. And, you know, we're then challenge to go out and champion this um you know and 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 before from the outset is that we need bus connects you know that's 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 a reality and we need it to work we need to get cars off the you know we need to get cars off the road and but what we also need to do is we need to be fair to people and the idea now that if somebody rings me at the moment i'm going to lose my garden i cannot say you are or you're not Mm. Yeah, that's that. That was that's that's literally what uh, the thirty-one elected representatives were were handed, you know. And then we're left to go out and say, okay, where can we tweak this or where's this better? Again, I suppose I I have an, and and the other thirty councillors because I, I think Bus Connects is the one thing that united the thirty-one councillors in Cork City Council more than any other issue. And we we've asked for more consultation. That the date still haven't been announced, and um, we've asked for an extension in the deadline for public consultation. That was granted the third of October, and um, but what I would urge any um, any of your callers, and I genuinely mean this, is, is that to engage either online, you can do it on by uh, you can do it on by post, you can do it handwritten, or you can come up to the um, to the public information meetings. Now, uh, the one for Ballincollig was yesterday, um, and we'll say the southwest of the city. The next ones coming up are the mon- next Monday and Tuesday, the 25th and 26th in the Silver Springs, and they would cover every route on the north side. So again, even by me explaining that to you, 
is that, you know, if you live, let's just say, in Grawan or Holly Hill, mm. you need to get to Silver Springs. And the reality is, is that there is no public transport that drops you outside Silver Springs. Yeah, that's true. You know, so we have a number of frustrations. But what I would, I, I, I genuinely, I, 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 I beg everybody to get your opinions in now, you know, to, to engage in the process. And in the meantime, then it's up to public reps to bring, and we will do it. Uh, and I assure people of that, is that we will have local meetings. We'll have them in, whether it's Ballavalan, Mayfield, the Glen, you know, Blackpool, wherever. If, if, if the route is affecting your community to a massive extent, then the meetings have to come you know, we have to bring the mountain to Mohammed, you know. That's John, what we have to do. What's the situation with the bus gates? Um, I'm, it's as clear as mud at the moment. I'm not sold on them. Um, and I've said this at the meeting. Um, at the moment, they've said that the bus gates will be areas of road that will only be open to uh, to buses, taxis or pub or sorry, our local traffic. Right. So Fiona, if you can just pick again, and I, I, if you if you work with me, if I'm in Dillon's Cross going up Old Yall Road towards, we'd say Mayfield, they're proposing that a bus can a, a bus gate would kick in going up Old Yall Road. Um, so the point then is that then they would redirect me through Madden's buildings, the Ashburton, really first of all, like small, like I wouldn't even call them roads. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and then is more it a bit like the emergency vehicle access to Mailer Street with the bollards? Would it be like that? No, it's not going to be bollard. No, no, no. It's going to be my. What we were told was that it's going to have road markings with cameras. Now the problem with cameras is that who's going to manage them? You know, we don't mm. have we don't have enough guardy, and we know the pressures that the, the guards we have are under. So we don't have staff. We don't have enough guard of staff to do the ordinary jobs without doing this now. But getting back to, if you just, if you work with my example, is that along the Old Yall Road is the library. Mm. So could I not just say I'm going up to my friend or I'm going up to the library to, like, how, you know, where's that common sense going to come in? I get you. I need to go yeah. to the library. I need to go to a library. I need to go to the swimming pool, which is the, the just the Mayfield example. Um, and yes, I'm now being redirected, but I could also say that my friend lives because there's local traffic there. Are you now telling people that have friends? I I, I just feel the bus, uh, the bus corridor, the bus gate wasn't explained. Uh, they they didn't mm. sell the idea to me. Um, so the, the idea of it that, really is that there's no physical uh, deterrent to people as such. It's more well, like a virtual. Well, this, the CCTVs and a fine, and that that's going to stop people from going up. But as you well, say, what well, if you have to use it? Well, yeah, or more importantly, though, who, where are we, where are we getting all the staff? Like, is it the guards enforced to fine? Is it councils enforced to fine? If it's councils that enforce the fine, I want to know where we're getting the extra council staff because I believe that we need staff. If there's money there for staff, I believe that there's other areas where we should be, we would be better served from employing more staff. Mm. Yeah, you know, I, I, as I said, I just think that putting road markings on the ground and a camera up there that potentially nobody can monitor you know where we've lost before we started yeah absolutely you know? and as i said fiona i'm somebody who wants this to work just and it's this is really important is that since the schools that went on holiday or yeah they went on holidays i can get from my house in balavlan into the city center in about six to seven minutes in the morning when they're back at school it takes me between 42 and 48 minutes yeah 
And that's the reality. So we do I think need like, cars. Yeah, up. I think nobody is disputing the fact that we do need improved bus services, but it's just we need the right one. Yeah, uh, can we I just need say to be before respectful. I let you go, John, as well, a bit of recognition from across the chamber floor from Councillor McNugent, who says, delighted to see the rainbow crossings in Patrick Street. Well done to John on raising it continually at Cork City Council. So there you go now, John. Ah, <laughs> uh, listen, Sean, uh, look here. There's a lot more people, though, and, I, and I, I do appreciate that for Mick, but like, you know, I, 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 I always remember a story very quickly is that about 40 years ago now the first Pride started in Cork and there was 20 people and there wasn't the nicest of um, it wasn't the nicest of, of, of situations mm. and now we look 40 years on and we have a crossing Cork City Council was the first council to endorse marriage equality first to fly the flag we're a rainbow city we were the first to light up City Hall in the colours and they're all really important um, important steps and by a lot of people involved. But you know what? We still have a bit to go and I think the, the Pride Crossings today um, show that we're serious about that, all elected reps. Um, and I, can, right. I look forward to, to, for, to, to building on it. Thanks, Councillor. That's Councillor John Marr uh, talking to us there about the Pride Crossing that you'll see on Patrick Street today. And just to remind you as well, the Cork's 96FM's Pride Vibes is live. It's our new online radio station playing the biggest hits and shining a light on Irish life with conversations around the issues that matter. Join us as we count down to parades and celebrations across Ireland. Stream it on the Cork's 96FM website or app and get more at pridevibes.ie. Pride Vibes supported by Volterol, the joy of movement. Listen live now with Cork's 96FM. We were speaking to Councillor John Marr there and we were speaking to Councillors Dan Boyle and Mary Rose Desmond yesterday about the Bus Connects proposal and Sarah has been in touch with the show. She bought her dream family home only three and a half years ago and it looks like now the home will be that the garden is going to be destroyed anyway um, as the route looks like it's going to be going through her garden and she's been talking to me for the opinion line on 96FM. You heard the conversation about the bus connects and the plans for bus connects. You're one of the people who is going to be affected by the plans. Tell me how you found out. Um, so last Wednesday evening there was a booklet and just uh, a A4 letter dropped into our um, post, just left in the post box. And myself and my husband actually didn't get a chance to review it until the weekend. Mm. So we just saw that there was proposed bus routes and that our property may be affected. So, like, it was just a generalised kind of letter, nothing individualised to us. So we had to go kind of deciphering through a 53-page booklet of maps Mm. and find our house on it. Um, So found our house and then we kind of saw all that they proposed to take from us for this bus lane. Um, So we were horrified. That was the first we knew of it. Mm. Nobody consulted with us. Nothing was personalised. It was just dropped in the porch at a time when a lot of people are on summer holidays. So we could have missed this for weeks. And what exactly did it say in the booklet? What was proposed for your house? Nothing is written specifically in the booklet, but you can just see... There's a dotted line where it's a, and it says like current boundary wall, and then there's a dotted line inside that then that says proposed new boundary possible land acquisition. And but that line that's going inside the boundary wall that's your that's your property. That's my whole. That's the whole side of backyard. So the wall. It's a boundary wall of our estate that mm. is uh, onto the Ballycarreen Road. Right. Um, so it's where the where Frankfield Road meets Ballycarreen Road on that corner. Then it's the boundary wall of our whole estate, and my house is at the edge of it. 
So it runs from my back garden, the side of my house, and onto my driveway, and out at the end of our cul-de-sac. That whole wall wraps around. So if this proposed route that's on the map that was in the booklet that came to you, if that gets to go ahead and it does happen, what are your fears then around this? Like, what are your fears of how your uh, house and your your family will be affected? Yeah, so like, like I said, it's the whole side in front of my house. So if they knock this wall... So actually, a main thing to explain is this where... So my house is up kind of almost on a hill because the road slopes upwards. So mm. my house is kind of up on a hill. Um, so it's a retainer wall. So basically, what's under... like So from my garden, it's about maybe... The wall is about five foot if you're standing in my garden. Right. But if you look over the other side, there's probably... I'm not great at estimating it now, but maybe a 20-foot drop on the Mm -hmm. other side. So there's, yeah, like a 20-foot drop on the other side. So that's actually a retainer wall. So for that to be knocked, that's the entire foundation of our house that I'm concerned about. Mm. And I'm sure... land mass in underneath that and the height of my house because my house is at a high aspect in comparison to the road if you get what I mean. Yeah, and I'm sure if they do go ahead with this that they will have engineers who will come out and inspect it and draw up a plan and all of the proper safety measures will be taken in place so that your house stays as is. But I suppose there are other concerns that you are facing as well in that it's taking the garden that you have and you have two little girls and this is their play space. That's it. Like, we don't have a front garden. We don't have one. Um, and we just have a, a little driveway to the, that's to the side of the house, beside the wall, mm. um, where you can park one car. So even the front of the house, if you bring that wall in, we've lost our parking space. You can't park the car mm. beside the house. And then you come down the side of our house, so kind of where behind our car would be parked is our shed, and then into our garden. So if you move that wall in, we've nowhere to put the shed, then our tiny little back garden is made smaller. And again, you know, I couldn't put a shed into it. It's already really small. So, mm-hmm. like, we've... And uh, two little kids, like I said, with no front garden, that's their play space. Also, on the the map, it doesn't represent that we have a little extension. Now, that was built before we bought the house three and a half years ago. That's not represented in the map. So, for this wall to be moved in, it would be brought almost right on top of my house you know, where the yeah. extension is. And that little sunroom off our kitchen, that's kind of our main living area, our girls' playroom, you know, so that my entire house here is being destroyed by this, you know. And you only bought the house three and a half years ago, so this was ago. like your your dream family home. This is our forever home, is what we've always thought, you know. This, this is the plan to be the forever home, and I couldn't be more upset by all of this now. It must be so stressful to, you know, be going about your business, life is normal, then you get this letter in or this booklet in the door um, and it says that this route is proposed to run by, as you've outlined there, um, and now you are just living with the stress of not knowing what's going to happen at the minute. That's it. It just feels like it's hanging over us. I haven't slept since Saturday night. I mean, I'm surviving on maybe two hours sleep because I'm just stressing all night, worrying mm-hmm. about like that, losing so much of our property, devaluing it as well is another aspect of it, you know. Mm. Um, but just like this, this is our home, you know. This is this is destroying our entire home if they do this. 
Um, so yeah, it's like I can't sleep. I've been crying loads. You know, it's it's just it's just really really worrying. I don't want this hanging over us for a long time. You know. I know. I can imagine, and especially when you have two little kids as well. You know, you don't want to be having to deal with this on That's top of everything life else. Life is busy enough. I mm. mean, I'm a nurse, and my husband has a very busy job. We're juggling two smallies and managing issues with childcare and all the all the other busyness that comes with life. And then suddenly this is lumped on us completely out of the blue and nobody consulted with us. Have you had a chance, you know, I was just going to ask you that, you said nobody has consulted with you. Obviously uh, you weren't talking to anybody before the booklet was sent out, but have you managed to be able to talk to anyone since? As in other people in the area? No, um, a consultant or or the the authority. Yeah, from the NTA. Yeah, so my husband rang yesterday and they were <laughs> less than helpful, absolutely less than helpful. Like I said, he asked for um, he asked for a one-to-one consultation, which the booklet says we're entitled to because we're so impacted. Mm. And they were very big. They were just like, oh, we'll get someone back onto you about that in up to five working days. And he was like, well, will there be a time and date given that somebody will meet with us at our home? And again, oh, someone will get back to you in a few days about mm. that. Just really, really, really vague. No answers given. We've made submissions of objection on the on the website. And what's concerning as well is that it's coming up. I know of other people who've made, uh, you know, submissions of objection, but it's coming up on the portal that zero submissions have been made. Right. So I'm wondering, is anyone reviewing these? Or is it, are they trying to make it appear as if nobody's objecting? Are these being lost in cyberspace? You know, why is it saying zero objections? Mm. My husband rang about that and um, they just uh, the girl just said, oh, I'll have to speak to my supervisor about it. That was it. I've emailed as well saying I've made submissions. I know other people have and it's saying there's zero submissions. So all of this is very worrying as well. You're wondering, is anybody taking any notice? Nobody's mm-hmm. replying to our emails or anything either. And I'm, I know that they are having public consultations and I'd say they are um, being inundated at the minute with emails from people and probably taking time to come back to people. But they are having these public consultations over the next couple of weeks. Are you able to go to any of them? Well, that's the thing. We weren't informed of any any consultations. That, what, that didn't come with the letter or the booklet or anything. We weren't informed of anything. My husband only found out about it yesterday as to when these consultations are on Mm. and we're actually away next week on a trip that already had to be postponed it's now non-refundable we can't cancel it i mean (laughs) there's no notice given at this point Mm. so we're sending family to hopefully represent us but they're they're not being accommodating at all i mean these are it's a wednesday and thursday during working hours and that's it there's no alternative days given no alternative times so if you can't make it or you're at work and can't get it off that, that's it you know you don't get to go to them so they're just not being accommodating at all and that and was again, an issue like that was raised on the phone Sorry. Yeah, it was an issue that was raised by councillor McNugent on the show that they're held at times when people are at work or when they're clashing mm-hmm. with bedtime for for you know young parents so um yes. they're not really suitable times for a lot of people and the thing is it's in the peak of summer holidays when people aren't around you know mm. like there's a lot of people around like we've been trying to get you know in touch with people about this and people are on annual leave so they know that as mm. well and you know for people to even go to these public consultations like ourselves we're, we're away you know so yeah. you know it's, it's, it's been done in a terrible terrible manner especially when especially in our case when it is so disruptive to our 
property, you know, mm. to our home, and it's just done like this. It's it's horrendous. Well, hopefully, I think that they've had the um, date for our submissions extended out to October. So hopefully you get a chance to have your, your voices heard and that somebody so, yeah. listens to you. Because, yeah. you know, as you say, it's um, it's it seems to be having a huge impact on where you live. So um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens with this yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, our house in particular. Now, there's... Uh, like we're a semi-detached house so if our foundations are affected so is the house beside us they haven't been notified of anything and the house below us kind of behind our back garden this retainer wall is also their wall but they haven't been notified of anything either you know so like you know our house is yes most affected but there's there's a, a you know it's it's going to affect there's impact on others as well and they're not being notified at all Okay. Sarah, it sounds like a very stressful situation that you're in and I hope you get answers very soon and I hope you can go and enjoy your holiday. (laughs) (laughs) I'll try. (laughs) All right, thank you for contacting us on the Opinion Line. Thanks, Sarah. Isn't it just an awful situation for people like that who have, you know, bought their home, bought their family home and now they have the stress and the worry of not knowing what's going to happen and looking at this map and seeing all these red lines running through their property. And I'm sure there there are many, many others like Sarah out there this morning who are finding out this week uh, how the Bus Connects plans are going to impact on them. And, you know, we are hearing reports of people who are not very happy with the proposal and if you would like to talk to us like Sarah did you can always contact the show 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96 is the text and WhatsApp number. Now it's been suggested that families may have to give up their second car if farmers don't meet a high cut in carbon emissions. Do you have a family a second family car? Would you be in favour of giving it up? I'm not sure if you'd like to get in touch with us let us know 0818 96 96 96. Bob Flavin is motoring um, journalist and for Cars Auto. Good morning, Bob. Morning. Bob. Hope you don't have to give up a second car. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that a lot of people would be in favour of giving up the second car? Well, the vast majority of rural Ireland, anything outside of a city really needs two cars for the most part. It's just the way life has become. You know, you have the second car that drives the kids to school, maybe drives a second parent to work, another parent has to leave early in the morning to go commute because we set up the country for everybody to commute to work. We no longer build the workplace near the houses. We build the workplace far away in industrial estates. Mm. So people have to commute to get there. And we haven't set up any good commuter connections. We don't have an alternative to to the personal vehicle other than the bicycle maybe in very limited situations but who wants to cycle in December in Ireland? I know this is it and like because even I had a discussion with my husband not that long ago about maybe giving up the second car but we work completely different shifts and the children are in school and childminder and you know there and different various activities in the evening and stuff like that so it's just not possible to to use the bus all the time because it doesn't get us from A to B a lot of the time Um, and like the second car is nearly a necessity for many, many families across Cork City and County and indeed across the country. And Cork is a huge county. It's one of the mm. biggest counties, if not the biggest county in Ireland, physically, size-wise. You go from West Cork to East Cork, and it takes a hell of a long time in your own personal car. So you can only imagine if someone only has one car and they're trying to share the car 
how much of a uh, disruption that causes in families. And families are already under pressure trying to get hither and hither to everything. You know, they're trying to get to the kids to some sort of practice thing in the evening time. They're trying to get to a GA match, they're trying to get wherever it is. And it's always the card that's at the brunt of that. But this kind of stems from the government, um, mostly the Green Party, but uh, the government at the moment trying to lower the emissions mm. of the country. The farming sector by 22%, 22 to 30%. 22 seems to be where the farmers want it to be, 30% is where the government seems to be. But the transport emissions is supposed to lower by 51%, which is over half. So half of the transport emissions have to go away. Now, I would suggest that the vast majority of cars in Ireland are on the lower CO2 emissions level. Uh, the average fleet uh, age of the car right now is eight or seven years old-ish. We're, we've been monitoring the CO2 emissions of those cars for years now. So they're already relatively clean. Mm. It's the other end of the market where we don't really look at it. It's, it's air transport, shipping transport, truck transport, who've already been looking at their CO2 and NOx emissions since the dawn of time. So I don't know how they're going to try and get us all into 60,000 euro electric cars from our two-car family, and some of those cars are working cars. And especially with the rate of inflation going up, and we're all struggling as it is to make ends meet without having to purchase an electric car for 60000 Um And Bob, mm. like, do you think that these targets are unrealistic, that they would be better off trying to uh, lower the, the projected targets to something that's a bit more achievable? Well, these targets are generally being set by European-level government and what can be possibly achieved uh, we seem to have an anti-car rhetoric in amongst our government here. And I can even quote the other day who uh, a managing director of a car company said to me that our current minister for transport is anti-car. So completely just not interested in cars, doesn't want to talk about cars nor talk about the sales of cars or how many electric cars we can actually produce, how many we get allotted for this country, because we're in a kind of a weird situation. We can dreamland that we can have 100,000 electric cars on the road, but realistically it comes down to what's allotted from the factories. So the factory mm-hmm. will say that they can only allot 1,000 electric cars for Ireland. That's it. The UK is going to take the rest of them, or Australia or Japan is going to take the rest of those cars. So we can only kind of work on their behalf. So if you want to lower the emissions here, first of all, you want to get people to drive less. It's not necessarily getting rid of the car. Mm. You want them to make better choices about driving. That was where public transport comes into it. You provide good public transport connections and people will actually use it. It's kind of a case of if you build it, they will come. And like we have this whole situation now in Cork where they are trying to improve the the transport system with the bus connects and there's uproar over it because it's just not being, uh, like the, the plans were not being communicated with people and they're having meetings at, uh, you know, times during the day when people are working and, you know, people are just up in arms over it and it's going to take years for, for this uh, bus connects plan to actually come into play. So, um, you know, I, I get the idea that they want to improve the bus services and the train services, but they're not really doing it quick enough, are they? No, realistically, we've done nothing for decades. On on, we've ripped up tracks, we've te- torn away train tracks over the years. Uh, we've actually cancelled buses. We put buses on at inappropriate times. I know there's a bus that runs between uh, a Port Leash and Tullamore once a day. So that's a forty-minute good drive in a car. It's probably about an hour and a half in a bus, mm. and no one uses it. Essentially, no one. Who's going to spend an hour and a half on a bus unless they don't own a car in the first place and must go over there? That's kind of the only public uh, connection we have. We have connections up to up to the airport in Dublin. There's Cork Airport. There, there's Kerry Airport. There's all kinds of ways of getting around the country, but most of it's done at inappropriate times when people aren't working. I think the government lives in a sort of a, a bubble all to themselves that what they believe people are actually doing for work 
and what people are actually doing for work, how people are working, how people are going, commuting. It's, it's sporadic. You know, a lot of office workers today work from home for three days a week and the other days of the week they go into an office for, for meetings. And that's become a sort of a hybrid situation. But you still have physical people who go to work on farms, in forestry, fishing, and those people have working vehicles that require them to go into very remote areas and just can't afford to do this. Plus, we have uh, interest rates going up from the ECB, which I suspect in, this, in the latter quarter of the year, we're going to see a 1% rise in interest rates, which means the loans are going to be harder to get to get these very expensive cars. Mm. I mean, the, the cheapest electric car is about 38, 39, 40,000 euro. That's, where, that's a lot of money. If you don't have a debt, you don't have a loan right now, you own your car. That's a lot of money to saddle yourself with just to bring your CO2 emissions down by the level of an electric car. A caller has been in touch with us here, Bob, to say, I looked into electric cars. They're a recipe for divorce because it takes so much planning around the charging times. Plus, no one is talking about the fact the connector is not easy to plug in and some people will have difficulties around that. So there are issues around the electric cars. I mean, we don't want people to be getting divorced because they're after buying an electric car. This is true, and I know a very good friend of mine who brought an electric car for his first drive decided he was going to drive to Belfast in it to show off that he could do this. Uh, I had one little charge on the way up at a fast charger, got to the top, then realised the charger in Belfast was out of service, so he couldn't get a charger. So he kind of limped back where he was, ended up charging a second time at the same charger. His whole family sit in the car, and his wife said these words, why didn't we just bring my car? <laughs> and that is because she has a petrol car, so it became this moment. Not everybody has bad experiences, but there yeah. there is a huge transition, a massive shift in the way people drive around. And it is it is really a recipe to change. Everything requires planning. I'm doing it myself this Thursday. I'm driving to Donegal in an electric car to drive back down and make a film about oh. driving down the west coast of Ireland uh, in an electric car. So oh, I'm going to try it myself and see how far I can get. Okay, you might come um, back to us and let us know out. how you get on. I will. Be interested to hear that. You'd be the first to know. <laughs> Brilliant. Bob, listen, thanks very much. We might catch up with you and find out how you got on in your electric car. That's motoring expert Bob Flavin. If you would be willing to give up your second family car to cut emissions, to help cut emissions, or if it's just not possible, you can let us know. 0818 96 96 96 is the phone line or the text or WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96. We're constantly hearing stories of people looking for a home to rent but are left disappointed time and time again due to the large number of people applying for the same property. But Corkman Pat Drynan has come up with a system to make the selection process more efficient. Pat, good morning. Good morning, Fiona. Pat, um, this is a tenant CV um, system and your, your company is called HomeHack. Uh, is the CV, the tenant CV, is this for landlords or is this for tenants? Well, it's for both and of necessity in both the landlords and tenants. Um, need to engage with the whole process Fiona in the renting process and so our our product is to help um, it's about, to make it about people rather than about the property and so we look at the entire renting process as one that is about the tenant who wants to you know exp- empower themselves and express who they are what they want in a home and we don't see that there's enough of that out there in the process at the moment but then at the same time the good landlords want to understand who it is they're letting the property to and so they need more than just, my name is John and I'd like to rent a house. They want to understand that, the, that there's a potential that the, 
the tenants might be happy in the home and that it suits them and that they might stay for a long time and look after the property well. And so that needs more information. So these stories that we hear of where landlords end up in a situation where they either can't get the tenant out of the house or the tenant trashes their house, this would mean, uh, or this would hopefully um, bring an end to that kind of behaviour and uh, make it more a, a safer bet for a landlord because they don't really know who they're lenting, renting their house out to. Well, that's very much it, Fiona. And, you know, a lot of the stories that we hear, they're very much the the tip edge. And, and I'd like to acknowledge that the vast majority of tenants are wonderful tenants mm. and they live in the homes. They don't cause any problems whatsoever. And they want to live and stay a long time and enjoy a home life there. And so that's what Home Hack is looking to 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 facilitate and by the same token the landlords who are worried about that situation are obviously have to take precaution and what we're trying to do is to help that landlord understand who are they inviting into the home and and help them um to to match maybe a person with the property in a better way than what's out there at the moment because at the moment when you advertise for a home on a property website or for tenants on a property website you're effectively putting an ad up there and so many people are desperate for a home and you get three and four hundred people applying but Fiona how are you meant to know who it is you invite in how do you yeah. how are you meant to know who's going to be happy in this home and that's what we're aiming to do here with home hack is to say you know what if you have a better idea of who's going to be happy in this household who will it suit maybe you uh, with home hack you can see who who works just down the road so they will have a lesser commute and they might be economically better off than they might be emotionally better off if they have a short commute and, and obviously it's better for environment as well. And so we facilitate the landlord identifying so who is going to be happiest in the home because of a lesser commute or because, you know, they need a storage for a bike or they need parking or they need, you know, a good size um, home for a family. So if they're putting in, so the tenant will put in where they work on their CV, what other things would they put on their CV? Like a normal CV, if you're applying for a job, say you'd be putting in your hobbies, uh, your education, your career experience. But if for a tenant CV, what kind of things do people need to include on it? Yeah, well, all of the, well, what we did, Fiona, is that we, this is the three-year project, if you like. And so we researched the marketplace in Ireland and in other countries. What are the normal requirements in terms of information? And then we matched that from a data protection standpoint. Certain information is is um, required, but useful, if you like, in the renting process. And and lots of other information is frankly not important and not relevant. Mm. And so we mixed all of that together and said, okay. And then on top of that, the risk, the information minimization, we looked at at what stages in the process is it appropriate to share your information? And we very much looked at the tenant and their personal information and said, okay, this platform needs to protect their personal information. So we give them... Um, a lot of security in there to protect it. So, for example, there are two levels of um, of tenant CV. The first one is a summary, Fiona, of what my tenant CV contains. And so it, it would contain things like, here's my rent, my, my CV has my renting history, my employment details, as in, you know, where I work and that I have a job, or maybe that I'm a student and I go to a certain university or I do a certain course. It will also say that I have references and it will put a number there if I've got two or three or four references. 
And importantly, also, we've built into the platform ID verification from Stripe Identity, and we're the first ones to introduce that into this country. We've worked uh, with Stripe on their beta for that. But what it does is it helps a lot of of um, home seekers to establish trustworthiness and it takes two or three minutes um, and it's it's a normal process that they have to do for many other applications now and so all of those things come together on their tenant cv the summary or preview tenant cv says what my tenant cv contains and then the full tenant cv is like their full cv that they would share with somebody who offers them a home so they're not giving it all away right up at front they're just simply saying hey i'm an organized person here's what I'm looking for in a home, so I'm empowered to say that, um, and here's what I've already done on my CV. Here are all the documents, all of the, the information that I have there at my disposal, ready to show you. So if you have a property that would suit me, it's ready to go. And then um, the landlord knows in advance, this is an organized person. They have all of their information ready, um, and I think my property might suit them. And Pat, how do the landlords know that the tenant CVs are, um, are are what they are, that they're not lying on their CV? Is there any way of uh, finding that out or, or protecting people from that? Great question. And in the research with the landlords, you can imagine, Fiona, and with letting agents, um, this came up quite a bit. And it's, it, it goes into that whole area of, of screening and we work with the tenant. The good organised tenant feels that too. They want to project their information so that it is trustworthy. Um, and so we, we, we help them, hence Stripe Identity, well-known brand and well-trusted well brand for the ID verification. We also, um, when they reach out to get uh, references, references are one of the, probably the most important currency on the tenant CV, um, they can display the, that they have their references on their CV, but then the landlord can um, more easily reach out to verify the, the truth behind those references. So they can see on the CV who gave the reference, and then with the click of a button, they can actually reach out and say, um, I'm the landlord and I'd like to verify this tenant CV, because there's a lot of friction in that process there as well. Mm. Um, but it, look, it's open for, um, in, the, in the world today, um, that's um, a risk that's out there. And what we're trying to do is to help people establish their information in a more organised, transparent way on their tenant CV, but then also to help the letting agent and the landlord to follow up and see um, in a more organised way, OK, this is where they got their reference, this is who it's from, I can see that up front. Um, and if I want to go forward with this person, you request access then to the reference referee details and we've made it easy to go out and and check and verify that so we're trying to help from both sides from the good tenant organized tenant to say i'm an organized person here's all my information and on the other side then from the landlord and agent side to make it easier to engage with that organized tenant and just to take some of the stress the friction the costs and reduce the administration fiona it's a great idea, Pat, and best of luck with it. It's Home Hack, H-O-M-E-H-A-K, all one word. And if anybody does want to sign up, they can contact Home Hack um, online, I'm assuming, yeah? Indeed, they just say you can go on there and you can see right now, and I would say to anybody out there who's looking to offer a home or considering, and um, you know, maybe they have spare rooms and they'd like to consider somebody and instead of, you know, taking photographs and putting it all up on the internet for the whole world to see, there's an opportunity to go on there and essentially type in the address in Cork, 
see who is already out there and searching and you can invite somebody into a home who's not a stranger. You'll know something about them in advance. Brilliant. Pat Ryan, and thank you very much for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. Earlier in the show, I was talking to Bob Flavin about the suggestion that people would have to give up the second family car in order to cut emissions. And Dean has been in touch to say, Ireland bringing in meat from Argentina and turf and peat soil from Europe. We have all that here and nothing is said about transport emissions bringing it into the country. Kevin says, if public transport was right, you shouldn't need a car. One is another matter but outside the city it's just not possible there's two buses a day up here the stop is eight miles away they need to get real and that was a point Kev that Bob was making that it's all well and good if you're living in a city with a bus route that runs every couple of minutes but what if you're out in the country and there is no public transport and you need to have your car and in many many cases the family needs to have two cars to get to work and to collect kids from school and to bring kids to different activities so it's just not possible in a lot of cases. Also Gareth has been in touch to say regarding the electric cars no one is talking about the emissions made to mine the metal for the batteries. We were also speaking about the Bus Connects plans and Sarah was um, talking to me about how she um, found or that the plans were posted into their letterbox and it looks like the route is going to be going right through their garden and someone has been in touch via WhatsApp to say the Ski Hard Road was recently done between the CSO office and Scally's Super Value, adding a bus lane in both directions. The bus lanes are too narrow to properly accommodate buses, so they basically use both lanes. The project shows a massive lack of planning. Catch your, keep your comments on that and other issues coming in to us 0818 96 96 96 or 083 396 96 96. The Corks 96 FM Best of Cork Awards. With localheroes.ie for trusted tradespeople with a 12 month warranty backed by Board Gosh Energy. It's about damn time to celebrate. This morning I gave you the list of best barbers and the best coffee. Now it's the turn of the best tradesperson and they are Stephen Higgins Carpentry, Anne-Marie Kingston, White Sage Decluttering, Bernard Power Carpentry, Maura Mackey Design and Ryan O'Keefe Painting and Decorating. Well done to all. And if one of those is your favourite, then voting opens tomorrow morning at 6am on 96fm.ie. We're revealing more of the shortlist later on today with Simon and Lorraine. The Best of Cork Awards 2022 with localheroes.ie, your place to find trusted gas boiler installers, plumbers, electricians and much more only on Cork's 96FM. Now, uh, the Ladies All-Ireland Finals is taking place in Croke Park on Saturday, July 29th, which is two Sundays away. And during the halftime, you'll get to see um, a performance by none other than the Keelna Mila women. Good morning, Anna Barrett. Hello, how are you? I'm <laughs> laughing at performance, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Anna, Keelna Mila, it's uh, Gaelic for Mothers and Others. Tell me a little bit about how this uh, group came about. So the Keelna Mila ladies uh, football team itself, our football club has been in place since 2007 and they have all age groups from under eight um, up to juniors. So the Gaelic from Mothers and Others team started last August. Um, one of our, our founding members of the Gaelic from Mothers and Others team, Rosaline, sent out a text just sort of gauging interest. I think we had something over 50 
people turned up to the first training session uh, last August and it's just gone from strength to strength uh, since then. I suppose a lot of us have been standing at the sides of pitches watching our, our girls play and uh, just thought it would be a bit of, bit of fun and yeah. That's the rest is history. <laughs> so it's it's a group of uh, mothers um, um, and others who come together to to train, but it's more for the crack, really, is it? Yeah, as I as I explained to people, it's sort of ninety percent crack and about ten percent football. But uh, yeah, so it's it's such fun. Like it's it's fitness and friendship, um, community. Like a lot of us have been involved with Keelamila and various other um, clubs across West Cork. Um, it's the first Gaelic for Mothers and Others team sort of in the area and um, it's drawing people, mums and, and, and others from, from around. And it's brilliant for people who have like moved to the area newly. I'm, as you may have guessed from my accent, not from Cork originally. Yeah. Um, I married a local man and we moved down from, from uh, Dublin back in um, 2015 so I would have known a lot of the mums anyway from from the the club and from school, but um, it's sort of further reaching than say our local area here in Ahiol. It's you know with people coming from sort of Timaleague direction, even Kilbreton, Balnascarthy, um, Enniskeen, Balanine. So it's it's just been wonderful. It's been so good and such good fun and oh. fitness as well, which is really really important. And would you have played Gaelic football before? I growing up in Dublin, where I grew up in Rathgar, there was no local GAA club. So I, I've three brothers, so I would have played a lot of sports, but Gaelic wasn't one of them. But uh, we moved, myself and my husband Mike, moved to Newcastle County, Dublin, um, in two thousand and six, and I started playing with the local team there because he was playing with the local team. Um, and as much as I was trying to explain to them, I've never played Gaelic before. I don't know how to solo. I don't know how to do all of this. They weren't taking no for an answer in St. Finian's, but uh, so I played for two years up there. Never thought I was any good or had, you know, sort of accumulated much skill. I was sort of more afraid of doing something wrong. But uh, obviously something stuck because certainly I'm just so enjoying playing now. And, you know, my skills are coming on and the camaraderie within the team. And it's just it's brilliant. Um, and I have two girls that play for Keelamila under uh, 14 and, and under 12 and um, it's great for them to see their mom going to training and going to blitzes and trying to master the solo <laughs> all the things that they're sort of struggling with um, yeah. well not struggling with that either, so was there kind of competition in the garden and you're saying hey look at me <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah for the rebounder it's my turn it's my turn yeah yeah <laughs> and Anna it started off kind of as a joke and it's become so much more and you're now going to get a chance to play in Croke Park that's really exciting I know it's like we were sort of when it started back in August somebody you know sort of said oh we might get to Crow Park and we all laughed but like little did we know that we here we are it's such an honour to have been chosen um, to play at, at the halftime of, of the ladies football finals and it's obviously so important for ladies' sport, you know, we've such a platform um, um, with the Mila Moos, as, as, as we're called, the Keela Mila Ladies uh, Gaelic Mothers and Others <laughs> team. Um, and we had so much fun in our quest to get to Crow Park. You might have seen some of the videos that uh, 
that that were done with their mascots, Marty and Mary, the two cows. And yeah, sure, there wasn't a celebrity they didn't they didn't track down and meet. And <laughs> yeah, it's it's honestly it's so so much fun. Like you, I hate missing out on a training session or a match or any you know blitz or anything that we do because it's always so much more than the game and the football. You know, there's how, always so much crack. And how did it come about? <laughs> how did you end up getting to Croke Park? How were you picked? So there was um, there was a call out for all the ladies Gaelic from others and others um, teams around Ireland to put a submission in. I think the deadline might have been the start of July. Um, so Rosaline, um, who, who's the who's our master of everything, um, said, "But why don't we, you know, kind of get on board with this?" Um, and one of our members, Tracy, had um, brought two cows along on a, on a night out. One, one night, Marty and Mary were christened. So we sort of, yeah, I don't know. It sort of just happened organically. We'll put it down to Tracy Walsh because she was, she was yeah, yeah. And just she was able to uh, meet Donica O'Callaghan, Marty Morrissey um, up at the Lord Mayor's Ball up in Cork and then we just we all had literally um, cows in our pockets and our handbags wherever we went in case we met somebody famous. Um, I work with Melissa Duggan, um, um, one of the Cork senior football players um, in Novartis. So um, I met her at a, at a work um, a work do. So she did a video, and then my husband works at Moro Callahan. Um, and Sheila and they did a video and you know it just sort of took off from there and it was just it was it was so much fun and to be honest if we never made it to Crow Park we had so much fun trying to get there <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> and um, where did the yeah, name Mila Moose come from? That was our, our amazing trainer Dwayne's wife Diane came up with that and um, we're in the heart of West Cork here in Ahiole uh, surrounded by by fields and cows and I suppose Keel Namila, Mila Moose, um, I don't know, sort of stuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great name and I'm sure that's uh, it, it really stood out for the judges when they were looking at who to pick for Crow Park as well. And um, just you mentioned there just about women's sport and, um, you know, highlighting the, you know, that you have this platform now and you know, like I think, like we we are seeing improvements in the in women's sport and how it's being viewed, and um, but there still is a long way to go, isn't there? <clears throat> there is, there is absolutely, and it is, and I think part of that is 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 having people within a club um, and the likes of yourselves from a media perspective shining a light on on all that's been done in women's sport. Um, I know that in in West Cork, for example, one of my daughters is in an under-13s development squad um, here in Ahiel for eight weeks and those types of things, like they all make such a difference. And there's people at all levels, like girls at all levels attending that. It's not just for the for the girls that are really, really good and are showing promise, you know. So mm. I think that's really important to have the advocates there. Um, our our trainer, Dwayne, also um, trains um, in soccer and uh, across Kilamila. Um, he's the chairperson for Kilamila Ladies um, football team. And he's so passionate about that, as are all of all of the Mila moves, you know, we all have girls playing um, in various teams, you know, across um, across camogie and football, to be honest. And it is so important. And it's like, you know, what we're hearing back from our daughters is just drives us on even more and makes mm. what we're doing so important for them to be able to see their mothers 
getting to Croke Park um, is just, you know, it's it's stuff of dreams. And I think, you know, in my in my mid forties now, little did I think I'd still be playing a team sport and just enjoying the 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 sense of being part of something. You know, it's mm. it is really really special, and we have so much fun. Brilliant, Anna. Best of luck in Crow Park. As I said, Saturday or Sunday, July is it Sunday, July twenty ninth? <clears throat> um, and you're playing. Is it, yeah. Saturday yeah. or Sunday? We are. It's Sunday, yeah. It's yeah. Sunday, Sunday, July twenty ninth, yeah. and it's the ladies All Ireland finals in Croke Park. Best of luck. Enjoy the day. Can't wait to see how you get on. <laughs> oh, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Fiona, um, for having us on. <laughs> Pleasure. All right. Best of luck to you and the team. That's Anna Barrett. She plays with Gaelic for Mothers and Others with Keel Namila, and their nickname, of course, is the Mila Moose, and they will be playing in Croke Park on Sunday, July twenty ninth. More comments coming in on the bus connects. Calvin says the bus improvements are well needed but what about the plans to build on the Glen, the only amenity park we have up this side of the north side and the council now want to build on it. So obviously that bus route is going through the Glen and it's um, an amenity park up there as Glen says, or Calvin says, the only one that they have and now they want to put a bus corridor through it. Um, it's the same with the Mangala Woods over in Douglas. Um, Councillor Dan Boyd was saying yesterday that they want to put um, the, the route through through that because it will be the quickest route but it doesn't seem to make any sense when this is supposed to be uh, a plan for more sustainable transport and yet they're building on the only green areas that a lot of places have so I suppose that's going to be a major issue with this proposal. Um, I was speaking earlier to Amanda Cambridge who was telling us the story of her little boy Avery who drowned in a swimming pool in Alicante and she's campaigning for water safety and we were talking about the lack of available places on swimming lessons in Cork, particularly since COVID. Um, and I know myself that I've been trying to get my children swimming lessons and it's been really, really difficult. And I've spoken to many, many parents who've said similar um, for areas all around Cork. Mary has been in touch to say Douglas swimming pool is so underused. It would be great if it was upgraded because it would be a great facility and it would be and it might help with those waiting lists as well for the swimming lessons. Also with regards to cashless banks Mary has been in touch to say on top of the AIB news Douglas is the only PTSB where you can speak to a teller and do business. It's a pure joke and with Ulster Bank legging it in October people are going to be under more pressure standing in long queues in the one or two cash banks left. Credit unions should grab that gap in the market and yeah we've seen those comments as well on our own 96FM Facebook page people saying that banks particularly in like the likes of Douglas massive queues already outside what's it going to be like keep your comments coming in on any of the issues that we've been talking about 0818 96 96 96 text or whatsapp 083 396 96 96 now you might remember during the Cork St Patrick's Day parade there was a lovely surprise proposal and it was one of the dancers um who, from uh, Atma Indian Dance Troupe and she, uh, her boyfriend made a surprise proposal during the uh, parade and of course it was captured on camera lots of people had their the phones out and it was all over social media and she did say yes but joining me now from the dance troupe is Dr. Lekha Menon Magassari. Good morning Lekha. Good morning. Uh, how are you? Thanks for joining us on the show this morning. Good, good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, first of all, just tell me, Atma Indian Dance Troupe, what exactly is it? 
Uh, so let me introduce myself and my uh, team uh, and my troop Atma. Uh, so my name is Dr. Lekha Minan Margasheri, a researcher by profession, a dancer by passion, social worker by nature and a poet by chance. Currently, I'm working as a technical officer at the School of Microbiology at University College Cork. I'm the president of UCC Indian Alumni Community, the board member of Alumni Development at UCC, and recently appointed as the president of World Malayali Council Cork Division, and also the founder of Atma Indian Dance Troupe Cork. About Atma, it was founded in 2018, uh, being a Bharatnatyam dancer, which is a classical dance form in India, myself, Atma was a means to provide a platform for Indian alumni and students in Cork to perform and share their love for dance with their audience. We have performed in various festivals, including the Bantry Festival, Cork Folk Festival, Cork Culture Night, Winter Moves 2020, Patrick's Day Parade, as you all know, 2022, uh, and Glow 2021. We are also the winners of 2019 Multicultural Ireland, we are of different age groups, and most importantly, we are good friends, and that's what brings us together. Uh, so basically, this this current team is, uh, we are 20, 22 of us, um, and we have two choreographers, Rohan, who is a researcher and working in a company in Galway. Uh, Mansi is a researcher and working at APC in UCC. Uh, we have a, a current student, Bonnie, who is a manager, and Sneha, um, who is working as a legal counsel and uh, is a social media manager. Few of them are based in Dublin, Carlo and Dundalk, due to the nature of jobs. Mm. Um, so Atma is unique in its way as we intend to promote Indian culture through both classical dances, such as Bharatnatyam and Kathak, and folk dances like Garba, Dandia, Karagam, Bihu, Bangra and many more. And that's so what Atma is about. Big, big crew. And Lekha, is there a big Indian dance scene here in Cork at the moment? So when I started, the scene wasn't big, but now the increase in Indians in Ireland, subclubs also host Bollywood nights. Mm. And there are more and more events celebrating Indian festivals. All these need a professional troupe to perform for the event. And that's where Atma comes in. So you're seeing it growing then. And is that, um, so some people, you know, as part of their culture, but are you getting newcomers to Indian dancing and people who are not from an Indian background? Um. Yes, we have got, um, we have inquiries from other communities uh, like Irish people who would want to learn Indian dancing and our choreographers do teach them. Uh, they do run dance classes. Uh, for some, it's their passion, but for some, it's a stress buster and that's where Atma lends a helping hand. We welcome all people of all expertise levels as long as discipline, hard work and passion for dance are a pa- part of their vocabulary. Uh, so you'd ask a question about newcomers, yes. I would like to tell a small incident where one of my team member currently, uh, she joined in 2019. She was very nervous. Mm. Now, currently, she's working in Clonakilty. She was a non-dancer herself. When she came, uh, you know, very nervous, but the growth I witnessed was remarkable. Now, she accepts any challenges thrown at her, and that's what Atma does. <laughs> we help them to build their personal development skills and help them to explore other Indian dance forms and think outside the box. You said people use it as a stress buster. Is that because while you're doing the dance training and the dance moves, you're just concentrating on that and nothing else? Um, yes, the focus is one thing, but also, you know, uh, many, as I said, many of them are students. Um, so when, they, you know, just to relieve that kind of pressure, okay, after their assignments, they want something to enjoy yeah. and they find uh, dance is, you know, is one form of, 
getting involved and forgetting about it, everything else. And, you know, we see a lot of tutorials on YouTube and TikTok showing Bollywood dance moves. So is that the area that most people are interested in? Uh, so while YouTube and TikTok challenges and tutorials help spread the Bollywood virus, Atma focuses more on the classical and folk dances that are unique to India, thus creating its own niche even among other groups in Ireland. Okay. So we are, we are not just to Bollywood, as I meant. It's, it's, you know. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. No, um, There's because there are other Bollywood. Yeah. Yeah, I think like well, here in Ireland, we're very familiar with Bollywood because of, I suppose, like the, the films and what we see on social media. But there are other Indian dances then as well. It's not just the Bollywood one. Yes, yes. And that's what we our focus is on. Lovely. The other dance forms. And like, I know that uh, I mentioned there about the St. Patrick's Day Parade and the surprise proposal mm-hmm. during that. And you have been raising money for Cork Penny Dinners, which is brilliant. Um, and you are taking event bookings, but how can people learn the moves themselves? Like, do you run classes or are there classes in Cork? Um, so first, let me answer to the fundraiser. In respect mm. to fundraiser, Katrina has been a friend for a few years and I have been volunteering every now and then with her. She's one of them who's my inspiration. So we wanted to contribute something to the community of Cork that nurtured our passion by providing us an audience and stage to perform. So we did a fundraiser to raise funds for Cork Penny Dinners and all funds that were raised via GoFundMe was donated to Cork Penny Dinners. Uh, so people can learn their Bollywood moves by themselves. But as I had mentioned earlier, we do a variety of Indian dance forms. Mm. So we help to refine them. And we run classes. We have workshops uh, for various... Uh, like many people, as you had mentioned just now, that they know only Bollywood. Yeah. So we do run Bollywood classes, but then we also try to incorporate the other dance forms so that they can come and learn and they can know that Indian dances are not just Bollywood. It's outside, you know, that mm. frame. Uh, so we have uh, our former, we have a, uh, we, we used to have a choreographer and now even a current choreographer, Rohan. They take uh, dance classes for most of the dance styles. We have Mansi, a current choreographer who takes Kathak classes, which is a classical dance form. Yeah. And so our main focus is to perform for events and participate for competitions. And uh, so we meet and practice at weekends in the Fitzgerald Park in UCC. Uh, so not everyone comes for all events. As I said, we are, we are a huge group. So we have different teams performing for different events depending on their availability. Do you find that a lot of Irish companies now are looking to book um, somebody like Atma Indian Dance Troupe for events because it's something a little bit different that we're not used to here? 
Yeah, because um, uh, the Cork City Council had contacted me for Glow Christmas and I was shocked when they wanted us to perform, mm. um, you know, some, uh, and we did actually in Christmas and it was something fun and we could see the audience reaction that they loved Indian dancing. They would want to know more about it yeah. because for them, I think for other communities, every time Bollywood comes first, but then, uh, you know, we wanted to promote everything else as well uh, because India is a huge, you know, it's a big country. We have different cultures. Um, so our, our dances are also different. It's not just Bollywood. You mentioned at the start, Lekha, <laughs> that you are a microbiologist during the day and, um, you know, you were talking about stress busting. Do you find that Indian dance helps you balance your life out? To me, uh, apart from work, the one thing I love is dancing and helping people. It gives me happiness. So I don't think I need anything else to kind of <laughs> balance out in my life. I have, uh, you know, it's uh, for me, I love both, uh, you know, microbiology during the day, dance during the weekend and, you know, in between I do some social work. So that's my life. I kind of plan it out such a way. You're a busy lady. <laughs> <laughs> and if people want to learn more about it, you do have a Facebook page. Yeah, we, we have a Facebook page at Atma Indian Dance Corp Troupe. And we also have an Insta page. We also have a YouTube channel. So if they like us, you can, you know, have a look at our dance performance, what we did earlier. Um, and they can contact us via email, which is atmadancecorp at gmail.com. Brilliant. Thank you, Dr. Lekha Manan Magarsaria of the Atma Indian Dance Troupe. And speaking of summertime and gigs and all that's happening over the summer, um, a lot of people will be packing up for either foreign holidays or breaks away here in Ireland. And one thing that everybody wants to bring on their holiday is, of course, a good book. And you might consider um, including this year um, as your summer read, The Amusements by Angela Flannery. Good morning, Angela. Good morning, Fiona. Thank you for joining me, Angela. It is a great summer read, especially because it is uh, based in a seaside town. It is based in Tremor in County Waterford. Um, and, uh, you know, the you, you get the whole sense of visitors coming to the town. And, you know, there's the whole description of the sense of smells and, and tastes that you get beside a seaside town. But the, the story itself is it's based on... Um, people who, who want to leave a small town um, and believe that you know the grass is greener and there's a bigger, better world out there. So even though it's based in Tremor in County Waterford, could it be applicable to any small town really in Ireland? Yeah, I think that's probably true. I mean, the amusement at its heart is a story of Helen and Stella, who are teenagers growing up in Tremor. But, um, you know, they're at that age where they're becoming independent and they're starting to look to the future. And like anybody, even not even in a small town, I think even in a suburb or in cities, you're mm-hmm. looking beyond and who are you going to be? But I do think, yeah, it probably is more applicable to small towns, but also there's a peculiarity about it because it's a seaside resort, which is a very unique place and uh, so the amusements follows their stories you know who do they grow up to be and do they stay friends and it's told from the point of view of Helen and Stella but also their families and the cast of characters around Tremor who are you know, just fictional creations but the local um, 
guest house owner, the caravan park owner, the local butcher, their teachers, all of that, you know. It's actually very amusing that um, you have the whole list of uh, rules that people have to stick to mm-hmm. if they if they stay in the town. And, you know, I myself am from a small town and uh, it's it's so true that, you know, if you, you stay there and the way people look at you and, you know, the small town talk that people have and, you know, when you're young, you want to escape that. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly at, you know, 16 or 17, uh, you do. But I think, you know, the amusements follows these two characters um, over 25 years. And of course, while you do want to escape, there's always the pull of family and community that brings you back. Because mm. while it can be a little bit stifling to be that age and want independence and want to be out, um, there's also great support in family and community. So it's that push and pull. And to me, um, you know, I'm not from Tremor, but I know it very well. Again, there's almost a tidal pull there. And I liked that kind of synchronicity between um, the sea and the community and whether these girls get out and whether they stay friends. And, you know, ultimately you find out, do they come back? Are they happy with their lives? Um, Is the one that goes and the one that stays, you know, which one of them ends up in the better position? And like, obviously we don't want to give away too much because we want Mm. people to read the book. But there is that, uh, you know, is, is the grass greener? Is there a bigger, better world outside of where you live? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think we all we all have that. I mean, certainly, when I was a small child, we went to Tremor on holidays. Like I said, I didn't grow up there. Um, I didn't spend my teens there, and I would have emigrated in my 20s. Um, but I'm much older now, and my mother has actually moved to Tremor. She retired and moved there. So I went back there as an adult, you know, with my siblings, with the next generation of Flannerys. And we had a very different view of it then, you know, and we've watched our children absolutely love it. But I wonder if they were growing up as teenagers there, would they do that natural thing and want to get out and want to get away? But, you know, you don't just, in the amusements, it's not just the stories of these two characters. It's everybody in the town. You know, there's a whole different generations. You know, there's a lot of older characters. The guest house owner is much older. The local butcher is much older. And those people also have to conform to what's expected of them in a small town. And I often think, you know, when you look at communities, that you don't really know what's going on in people's lives, that people sometimes keep their individual interests or secret passions to themselves in order to fit in. And I think that that happens in every community. It's not simply, you know, there's a universality to that. It's not simply about Tremor or a small town in Cork or Kerry or Galway or wherever. I think it happens the world over. And a lot of the characters in your book, obviously they're all fictional, but did you, when you were, you know, your summers in in Tremor and you spent Mm -hmm. your time in Tremor, were there different characteristics from people that you, uh, you know, remembered and used them when you were writing up your characters? No, not really. I mean, I found it much more interesting to, well, really what happened was I read a short story by William Trevor, which was actually set in Cork and Tremor, um, called Honeymoon in Tremor. And it's about a, um, a young farmhand who's boarded out from an orphanage in Cork to this farm in County Cork. And uh, he falls in love with the farmer's daughter and they don't think very much of him until mm. she gets pregnant by somebody else and nobody will marry her except for the farmhand. And they go off on their honeymoon to Tremor. And that's where Davy Toome, the farmhand, realises you know, the sort of the extent of um, the deception that he's gotten wrapped up yeah. in. It's a William Trevor short story. People know William Trevor from the Ballroom of Romance. He wrote that. So when I read Honeymoon and Tremor, I thought, you know, that's really interesting that nobody 
that I know of other than Trevor have used Tremor as a fictional backdrop. And so I set about writing a couple of short stories in them. And it was one of those short stories that really inspired me to keep going with Tremor. And Helen, one of the characters in The Amusements, was the character in that short story. So I just developed it from there. So I created a whole cast of characters around that little girl. Um and who she grew up to be. But, you know, your question's an interesting one because, you know, if you're very specific in writing about a place, you have to be careful because people have said to me, well, why didn't you disguise it? And I kind of thought, well, look, it's impossible to disguise somewhere like Tremor. As soon as I mentioned the Metal Man or the amusements, everyone's going to know where I'm talking about. So I tried to be as authentic as possible with the location. And my family are originally from South Kilkenny and Waterford and they still live down there. So I had their voices and their way of speaking in my head. I grew up listening to them. So I found it possibly it was easier for me as a writer to come up with authentic voices for my characters because I kind of had the comfort of knowing that it would sound authentic because my family or my mother's family, the powers, of course, from Waterford, yeah. South any, you know, that they come from there. So I was comfortable with that. But it was much more freeing to be able to just invent people and write about them. So, yeah, it's entirely fictional. And Angela, you were in a past life an award-winning broadcaster and uh, mm. you gave up your career to write this book. Um, was it difficult to write your first, this is your first novel. I know you had written mm. some short stories before, but it's your first uh, novel. Was it a difficult process? Yeah, it's very long, but it's a labour of love. I mean, I had two dreams, you know, to be a journalist and to write a book. Um, but I didn't think, I didn't know how to become a writer. I think being a journalist seemed much more possible, but that took me a long time too. <laughs> so I worked in radio for most of my career. I worked in Today FM as a news editor and reader and a producer. Um, but I was writing all the time. You know, I had a freelance kind of sideline writing for The Independent and for Image Magazine and all of that. So I was writing and I was secretly writing short stories. But of course, you know, news journalism in particular is very time consuming. And you just drop things because you have to go back to work. So in the end, I suppose I got into my mid to late 40s and I thought, no, look, you're going to have to have a go at this. So I, um, yeah, so I changed careers to do it. Um, I still do the odd bit of broadcasting and, mm. um, you know, freelance writing. But uh, yeah, no, it was just something I wanted to do. And it did, you know, a background in journalism definitely helped. It was funny writing this, the broadcasting in particular. I, I didn't expect that. I mean, OK, the feature writing, you kind of think, well, that will help you with deadlines and facing the blank screen every day. But the broadcasting, I think, really helped me in terms of dialogue. And I didn't expect that, but I suppose you develop an ear for it after working radio and also in editing, because you should be brutal when you're editing mm. in in news for radio you know I mean there's just no fat on it and so that was good but the most unexpected thing was when I was writing it um, writing the amusements that one of the characters turns on the car radio and this person is on the radio Maggie Crow the presenter of the early bird show on the local radio station who's completely fictitious but she just came to me fully formed mm. and all of the scenes whenever someone turns on a the radio there's Maggie Crow and you never meet that character except for when someone turns on the radio <laughs> yeah. but it was such a kind of pleasure to me for her to just pop into my head fully formed and what that means for the local radio you know she commentates on mm. what's going on in the town and if people the locals want to talk and want to get stuff up their chest they phone Maggie Crow and do it and so yeah I didn't expect broadcasting to kind of help me in that way but I suppose it was in you it comes out of you It does indeed Angela it's a great book best to look with it it's called The Amusements um, Angela Flallery um, best to look with the book thank you very much for joining us this morning
We're getting reports of an incident on the South Mall. A fire alarm apparently went off, um, but it doesn't, the, the cause of uh, the fire alarm can't be found. It seems at the minute there are four uh, tenders from the Cork City Fire Brigade at that incident. Um, and if we get more on that, I'm sure uh, the news team will bring it to you later on this afternoon. We were speaking earlier as well about your family tree and um, Fiona was talking about uh, finding out your, your family history and Mary says I did uh, my heritage test and I'm 15% Eastern European meanwhile the Cork Kaipu says after spending a few weeks researching my family tree and successfully going back to the 1850s I'm absolutely gutted to learn that most of my relatives from that era have since passed away hashtag gone too soon thank you very much for that Cork Kaipu I hope you get over your grief um, now it's uh, we were talking there about summer reads but what about your summer sandwiches? Agnes Boucher Hayes of Food Cooking at LIT joins me now to talk about some great summer sandwiches. Good morning, Agnes. Morning, how are you? I'm very well, I'm very well. It is definitely the weather for sandwiches, isn't it? Even for dinner, it doesn't have to necessarily be lunch. Well, well that's it. Uh, the thing with sandwiches, it, it definitely, I mean, well, where I am now at the minute, the weather, it's toasted sandwich weather. Um, <laughs> it, we, 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 we've lost the sun, you know, temporarily. But sandwiches actually can be used for breakfast, lunch, dinner, treats when you come home after maybe you've been out for a while. You know, they're good snack food as well. Mm. Um, usually a sandwich is very simply a soft bread, some condiments, maybe some proteins or protein alternatives, and put in a tasty, you know, taste, tasty luscious bun or or between you know to eat. That's that's usually what it is. It's very simple. They started out the first European recognition of the word sandwich was in 1762 with John Montague, the fourth Earl of Sandwich, and he loved gambling. Mm. So he would sit at the gambling table and he would just ask people. He he didn't want to get up. He got hungry, so he asked for some bread and some meat to be brought to him at the table, and that's where apparently the entomology of the word sandwich came from. And I suppose, so you know, now in modern times, um, you know, you can't beat a, just a plain sandwich with ham in it. But, <laughs> mm. you know, yeah. what can we do to make the sandwich more exciting other than adding a bit of coleslaw? There's lots of actually, there's loads of things that you can do to a sandwich. It depends on what you, what, what your tastes are, what your, you know, your predications are, what you'd like to eat. Um, I, my personal favourite is a bacon, lettuce, tomato sandwich. I think there's nothing nicer mm. in this whole earthly world, except in the middle of the winter when it's a toasted ham and cheese. They're my go-tos. But if you wanted to stretch yourself a little bit, you can look at different, very, very, you know, change the type of bread that you're using and or maybe use a bread alternative. So um, when I mean change, when I say t- change the type of bread, we don't have to have white bread the whole time. Sometimes yeah. white bread is really good in a sandwich. But bagels, sourdoughs, open sandwiches, closed sandwiches, wraps, we can cook them like, or, you know, you can have a flat, flat, you know, wrap and have uh, your filling in it and cook, you know, cover it, have it over and fry it. And that's a quesadilla type thing. So there's lots of countries in the world that there are many different types of sandwiches. Um, so you, you can stretch yourself beyond that. A lovely few nice ones that I came up with was the classic open beef sandwich. You know, so you could take a, a, a take on a, on a Reuben and uh, you would have maybe a beef instead and you'd have some sauerkraut. So they're kind of different things. And that's a little bit of the American and the Eastern European. Mm. But also a lovely one that I saw was a fried mozzarella 
and olive finger, you know, finger sandwiches. So you'd actually just get some tapenade, put it on some, and this is one where you use a white bread, put it on some white bread, put your mozzarella in the middle, have a little bit of egg wash and then pan fry your sandwich. So there, you know, that's a really different type of flavor combination than your average everyday sandwich. But you can have a lemon, a lemon chicken sandwich as well is very nice. If you oh, have some chicken left over. Yeah, no, this is a nice one now. If you had some chicken left over after a roast or if you'd barbecued it. Um, so just take the extra bits of chicken, add a little bit of lemon juice, lemon rind, and um, then whatever flavouring, you know, you could put in some little chopped up cucumber, finely chopped up cucumber maybe, and small bit of cherry tomato and a little bit of lemon rind and the lemon juice. Mix it together and then put it in a wrap. That's quite, that's quite nice as well. Oh, that sounds lovely, yeah. Yeah, so and, then... I suppose, Agnes, we're we're a coastal county, great access to seafood. Mm. Have you any seafood Mm. um, ideas for sandwiches? Well, there was a lovely one I came across, which was um, a tuna anchovy and on sourdough with a little bit of avocado. Mm. So that would be maybe that would I'm thinking fresh, like a fresh piece of tuna rather than a tinned rather than tinned tuna. So, you know, if you again, if you had cooked extra or if you'd some left over, you could use that. And then just you might use uh, just the anchovy a little. These are for real seafood lovers. Mm. The anchovy wouldn't be for me, not my flavor. But (laughs) you just you can but you can make it as strong or as weak, the flavor of the anchovy. You know, if some people are if you're introducing it to your to your palate, you know, a small, a small amount. So mix that with the the avocado, spread it on some sourdough and then put the tuna over it. Really nice, you know. And could you sourdough replace really the anchovy? Good. If you didn't like anchovies, could you replace them with something? She could put it in a little bit of olive, chop mm. up a few olives. And then you could, you know, just think about the flavour combinations. A lovely one as well. Obviously, you've got your open um, your open prawn sandwiches or a smoked salmon. But I thought a nice twist on a smoked salmon might be a little bit of wasabi. So in your cream cheese, uh, just add a small, again, a small bit of wasabi, which is quite hot and peppery. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, um, yeah, so that would that would be that would that would be a nice alternative. And with that, you could put in a little bit of lime. Lime is a nice alternative to lemon. I find lemon sometimes can be quite acidic, whereas a lime can give a little bit of a depth of flavor without giving the harshness. So, you you know, that's a nice alternative as well. And you can use the rind as well as the juice from the lime. Lovely. And a lobster roll. If, if you were if you were being really fancy, a lobster roll. So you get a soft piece of bread, and you could get some lobster if you'd been out and you'd cut some in pots or whatever, um, and you'd cooked it. You know, bit of lobster, and then just very simply a little bit of mayonnaise, a little bit of um, uh, butter. You know, uh, lettuce, butter leaf lettuce, and mm. then a little bit of tomato. Very very simple, but a fabulous one if you're traveling. Is if you get a a a, a, a hard bun, um, you know, a soft roll. Yes. Sorry, hard roll, crispy roll. Lovely. Take out yeah. the centre of it and fill that with what you'd like to put into it. So you could do like a niçoise. So that could be some uh, olives, a uh, little bit of egg, a little bit of tuna, a little bit of green bean, olive oil, a little bit of vinegar, and put the lid back on it. Wrap it in um, cling film into the cooler. If you were going, you know, if you were traveling mm-hmm. with your cooled bottles of, you know, if you'd frozen bottles of water in this hot weather and that would keep it cool as well. But when you take it out, all of the lovely juices are in the inside, but you still have the cru- crunchiness on the outside. So that's, that's why you remove the, well. the inside of it then? The inside. And then you put everything into the middle and you, you stack it in. You jam everything that you want in. It can be as simple as lettuce, tomato, chicken mayonnaise. It can, you know, it can be as complicated or as, or as uncomplicated as you like. Yeah. Lovely. So that's just another type. And ricotta, uh, 
ricotta is another lovely ingredient that you can use on open sandwiches. So that's lovely with a little bit of fruit, like an apricot or a nectarine. If you just have a little bit of like a, it's like a bruschetta, really, mm. a little bit of toast, a little bit of ricotta, and then your um, fruit, either your uh, apricot or your nectarine or a peach. And if you had a little bit of ham, that Gorgeous. would be lovely as well. Agnes, they mm. sound amazing. God, I'm starving now. <laughs> now and I'm sure people will be going on the lunch breaks in the next hour. I know, yeah, people will be yeah, going on the lunch breaks now no in an hour or two. And they can, yeah, no I'm sure. Rolls now. No chicken rolls. No chicken rolls. <laughs> All right, okay. <laughs> oh, but that's a kind of okay. a favourite of us, isn't it? <laughs> it is, it is, it is, it is. The, the chicken roll is one of the staples. It's just because it has the crunchiness, the salt, the sh- it's got the fat and the sugar and the, yeah. the sh- you know, in, in, in the, in, in the, the, the in the chicken, you know, so yeah, we are predisposed to that as well. We are, you can't beat it. <laughs> Agnes, thank you so much. Nothing. Thank you so You're much for joining us. Pleasure. And that was Agnes Boucher, his food cooking lecturer at LIT. Um, earlier, I was speaking to Anna from the Mealy Moose, and Kira has been in touch to say, I'm one of the girls involved with the Mealy Moose. It's the best thing ever. I would highly recommend anyone to get involved in a local club. I made great friends through it. Well done, Anna, on speaking on our behalf and promoting Gaelic for mothers and others. And that came in from Kira. Thank you for that. Uh, that's my lot done for today. Thanks to Fergal, Richard and Wayne for helping out today. And I will be back with you tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your day. Earlier in the show, I was talking to Bob Flavin about the a suggestion that people would have to give up the second family car in order to cut emissions. And Dean has been in touch to say Ireland bringing in meat from Argentina and turf and peat soil from Europe we have all that here and nothing is said about transport emissions bringing it into the country Kevin says if public transport was right you shouldn't need a car want is another matter but outside the city it's just not possible there's two buses a day up here the stop is eight miles away they need to get real and that was a point Kev that Bob was making that it's all well and good if you're living in a city with a bus route that runs every couple of minutes but what if you're out in the country and there is no public transport and you need to have your car and in many, many cases the family needs to have two cars to get to work and to collect kids from school and to bring kids to different activities so it's just not possible in a lot of cases. Also Gareth has been in touch to say regarding the electric cars no one is talking about the emissions made to mine the metal for the batteries. We were also speaking about the Bus Connects plans and Sarah was um, talking to me about how she... um, found or that the plans were posted into their letterbox and it looks like the route is going to be going right through their garden and someone has been in touch via WhatsApp to say the ski hard road was recently done between the CSO office and Scally's super value adding a bus lane in both directions the bus lanes are too narrow to properly accommodate buses so they basically use both lanes the project shows a massive lack of planning Catch your, keep your comments on that and other issues coming in to us 0818 96 96 96 or 083 396 96 96. The Cork's 96 FM Best of Cork Awards. With localheroes.ie for trusted tradespeople with a 12 month warranty backed by Board Gosh Energy. It's about damn time to celebrate. This morning I gave you the list of best barbers and the best coffee. Now it's the turn of the best tradesperson and they are Stephen Higgins Carpentry, Anne-Marie Kingston, White Sage Decluttering, Bernard Power Carpentry, 
Maura Mackey Design and Ryan O'Keefe Painting and Decorating. Well done to all. And if one of those is your favourite, then voting opens tomorrow morning at 6am on 96fm.ie. We're revealing more of the shortlist later on today with Simon and Lorraine. The Best of Cork Awards 2022 with localheroes.ie, your place to find trusted gas boiler installers, plumbers, electricians and much more only on Cork's 96FM. Now, uh, the Ladies All-Ireland Finals is taking place in Croke Park on Saturday, July 29th, which is two Sundays away. And during the halftime, you'll get to see um, a performance by none other than the Keelnamila women. Good morning, Anna Barrett. Hello, how are you? I'm <laughs> laughing at performance, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Anna, Keelnamila, it's uh, Gaelic for Mothers and Others. Tell me a little bit about how this uh, group came about. So the Keelnamila ladies uh, football team itself, our football club has been in place since 2007 and they have all age groups from under eight um, up to juniors. So the Gaelic from Mothers and Others team started last August and one of our, our founding members of the Gaelic from Mothers and Others team, Rosaline, sent out a text just sort of gauging interest. I think we had something over 50 people turned up to the first training session uh, last August and it's just gone from strength to strength uh, since then. I suppose a lot of us have been standing at the sides of pitches watching our, our girls play and uh, just thought it would be a bit of bit of fun. And yeah, that's the, the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's a group of uh, mothers um, um, and others who come together to, to train, but it's more for the crack, really, is it? Yeah, as I, as I explained to people, it's sort of 90% crack and about 10% football, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's it's such fun. Like it's it's fitness and friendship, um, community. Like a lot of us have been involved with Keelamila and various other um, clubs across West Cork. Um, it's the first Gaelic for Mothers and Others team, sort of in the area, and um, it's drawing people, mums and, and and others from from around, and it's brilliant for people who have like moved to the area newly. I'm as you may have guessed from my accent, not from Cork originally. Yeah. Um, I married a local man and we moved down from, from uh, Dublin back in um, 2015. So I would have known a lot of the mums anyway from, from the, the club and from school, but um, it's sort of further reaching than say our local area here in Ahiol. It's, you know, with people coming from sort of Timaleague direction, even Kilbritton, Balnascarthy, um, Enniskeen, Balanine. So it's it's just been wonderful. It's been so good and such good fun. And oh. fitness as well, which is really, really important. And would you have played Gaelic football before? I Growing up in Dublin, where I grew up in Rathgar, there was no local GAA club. So I, I have three brothers, so I would have played a lot of sports, but Gaelic wasn't one of them. But uh, we moved, myself and my husband, Mike, moved to Newcastle County, Dublin um, in 2006. And I started playing with the local team there because he was playing with the local team. Um, and as much as I was trying to explain to them, I've never played Gaelic before. I don't know how to solo. I don't know how to do all of this. They weren't taking no for an answer in St. Finian's. But uh, so I played for two years up there. Never thought I was any good or had, you know, sort of accumulated much skill. I was sort of more afraid of doing something wrong. But uh, obviously something stuck because certainly I'm just so enjoying playing now. And, you know, 
my skills are coming on and the camaraderie within the team and it's just it's brilliant um, and I have two girls that play for Keela Mila under uh, 14 and, and under 12 and um, it's great for them to see their mom going to training and going to blitzes and trying to master the solo <laughs> all the things that they're sort of struggling with um, yeah. well not struggling with that you know, So is there kind of competition in the garden and you're saying hey look at me <laughs> Absolutely yeah yeah for the rebounder it's my turn it's my turn yeah yeah <laughs> And Anna it started off kind of as a joke and it's become so much more and you're now going to get a chance to play in Croke Park that's really exciting I know it's like we were sort of when it started back in August somebody you know sort of said oh we might get to Croke Park and we all laughed but like little did we know that we here we are it's such an honour to have been chosen um, to play at, at the halftime of, of the ladies football finals and it's obviously so important for ladies sport you know we've such a platform um um with the Mila Moos as 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 we're called the Keela Mila ladies uh, Gaelic mothers and others team um and we had so much fun in our quest to get to Crow Park you might have seen some of the videos that uh, that that were done with our mascots Marty and Mary the two cows and yeah sure there wasn't a celebrity they didn't they didn't track down and meet and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's honestly it's so so much fun. Like you, I hate missing out on a training session or a match or any you know blitz or anything that we do because it's always so much more than the game and the football. You know, there's and always how, so much crack. And how did it come about? <laughs> how did you end up getting to Croke Park? How were you picked? So there was um, there was a call out for all the ladies Gaelic for mothers and others um, teams around Ireland to put a submission in. I think the deadline might have been the start of July. Um, so Rosaline, um, who, who's the who's our master of everything, um, said, "But why don't we, you know, kind of get on board with this?" Um, and one of our members, Tracy, had um, brought two cows along on a, on a night out. One, one night, Marty and Mary were christened. So it was sort of, yeah, I don't know. It sort of just happened organically. We'll put it down to Tracy Walsh because she was, she was yeah, yeah. And just she was able to uh, meet Donnick O'Callaghan, Marty Morrissey um, up at the Lord Mayor's Ball up in Cork. And then we just we all had literally um, cows in our pockets and our handbags wherever we went in case we met somebody famous. Um, I work with Melissa Duggan, um, um, one of the Cork senior football players um, in Novartis. So um, I met her at a, at a work um, a work do. So she did a video, and then my husband works with Maura O'Callaghan um, and Sheila, and they did a video. And you know, it just sort of took off from there. And it was just, it was, it was so much fun. And to be honest, if we never made it to Crow Park, we had so much fun trying to get there. <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> and um, where did the yeah. name Mila Moos come from? That was our, our amazing trainer, Dwayne's wife, Diane, came up with that. Um, we're in the heart of West Cork here in Ahiol, uh, surrounded by by fields and cows and. I suppose Keel Namila, Mila Moose, um, I don't know, sort of stuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great name and I'm sure that's uh, it, it really stood out for the judges when they were looking at who to pick for Crow Park as well. And um, just you mentioned there just about women's sport and, um, you know, highlighting the, you know, that you have this platform now and you know, like I think, like we we are seeing improvements in the in women's sport and how it's being viewed, and um, but there still is a long way to go, isn't there? <clears throat> there is, there is absolutely, and it is, and I think part of that is is 
is having people within a club um, and the likes of yourselves from a media perspective shining a light on, on all that's been done in women's sport. Um, I know that in, in West Cork, for example, one of my daughters is in an under-13s development squad um, here in Ahiel for eight weeks and those types of things, like they all make such a difference. And there's people at all levels, like girls at all levels attending that. It's not just for the for the girls that are really, really good and are showing promise, you know. So mm. I think that's really important to have the advocates there. Um, our our trainer, Dwayne, also um, trains um, in soccer and uh, across Kilimila. Um, he's the chairperson for Kilimila Ladies um, football team. And he's so passionate about that, as are all of all of the Mila moves, you know, we all have girls playing um, in various teams, you know, across um, across camogie and football, to be honest. And it is so important. And it's like, you know, what we're hearing back from our daughters is just drives us on even more and makes mm. what we're doing so important for them to be able to see their mothers getting to Croke Park um, is just, you know, it's it's stuff of dreams. And I think, you know, in my in my mid 40s now, little did I think I'd still be playing a team sport and just enjoying the 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 sense of being part of something. You know, it's yeah. it is really, really special and we have so much fun. Brilliant. Anna, best of luck in Crow Park. As I said, Saturday or Sunday, July. Is it Sunday, July 29th? <clears throat> um and you're playing is it, yeah. Saturday yeah. or Sunday? We are it's Sunday, yeah. It's yeah. Sunday, Sunday, July twenty ninth, yeah. and it's the ladies All Ireland finals in Croke Park. Best of luck. Enjoy the day. Can't wait to see how you get on. <laughs> oh, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Fiona, um, for having us on. <laughs> Pleasure. All right. Best of luck to you and the team. That's Anna Barrett. She plays with Gaelic for Mothers and Others at Kilnamila, and their nickname, of course, is the Mila Moose. And they will be playing in Croke Park on Sunday, July twenty ninth. More comments coming in on the bus connects. Calvin says the bus improvements are well needed but what about the plans to build on the Glen, the only amenity park we have up this side of the north side and the council now want to build on it. So obviously that bus route is going through the Glen and it's um, an amenity park up there as Glen says, or Calvin says, the only one that they have and now they want to put a bus corridor through it. Um, it's the same with the Mangala Woods over in Douglas. Um, Councillor Dan Boyd was saying yesterday that they want to put um, the, the route through that because it will be the quickest route but it doesn't seem to make any sense when this is supposed to be uh, a plan for more sustainable transport and yet they're building on the only green areas that a lot of places have so I suppose that's going to be a major issue with this proposal. Um, I was speaking earlier to Amanda Cambridge who was telling us the story of her little boy Avery who drowned in a swimming pool in Alicante and she's campaigning for water safety and we were talking about the lack of available places on swimming lessons in Cork, particularly since COVID. Um, and I know myself that I've been trying to get my children swimming lessons and it's been really, really difficult. And I've spoken to many, many parents who've said similar um, for areas all around Cork. Mary has been in touch to say Douglas swimming pool is so underused. It would be great if it was upgraded because it would be a great facility and it would be and it might help with those waiting lists as well for the 
swimming lessons. Also, with regards to cashless banks, Mary has been in touch to say, on top of the AIB news, Douglas is the only PTSB where you can speak to a teller and do business. It's a pure joke and with Ulster Bank legging it in October, people are going to be under more pressure standing in long queues in the one or two cash banks left. Credit unions should grab that gap in the market. And yeah, we've seen those comments as well on our own 96FM Facebook page, people saying that banks, particularly in like the likes of Douglas, massive queues already outside. What's it going to be like? Keep your comments coming in on any of the issues that we've been talking about. 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 0833969696. Now, you might remember during the Cork St. Patrick's Day Parade, there was a lovely surprise proposal and it was one of the dancers... Um, who, from uh, Atma Indian Dance Troupe and she, uh, her boyfriend made a surprise proposal during the uh, parade and of course it was captured on camera lots of people had their the phones out and it was all over social media and she did say yes but joining me now from the dance troupe is Dr. Lekha Menon Magassari. Good morning Lekha. Good morning. Uh, how are you? Thanks for joining us on the show this morning. Good, good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, first of all, just tell me, Atma Indian Dance Troupe, what exactly is it? Uh, so let me introduce myself and my uh, team mm. uh, and my troupe, Atma. Uh, so my name is Dr. Lekha Minan Margasheri, a researcher by profession, a dancer by passion, social worker by nature and a poet by chance. Currently, I'm working as a technical officer at the School of Microbiology at University College Cork. I'm the president of UCC Indian Alumni Community, the board member of Alumni Development at UCC, and recently appointed as the president of World Malayali Council Cork Division, and also the founder of Atma Indian Dance Group Cork. About Atma, it was founded in 2018, uh, being a Bharatnatyam dancer, which is a classical dance form in India, myself. Atma was a means to provide a platform for Indian alumni and students in Cork to perform and share their love for dance with their audience. We have performed in various festivals, including the Bantry Festival, Cork Folk Festival, Cork Culture Night, Winter Moves 2020, Patrick's Day Parade, as you all know, 2022, uh, and Glow 2021. We are also the winners of 2019 Multicultural Ireland. We are of different age groups, and most importantly, we are good friends, and that's what brings us together. Uh, so basically, this, this current team is, uh, we are 20, 22 of us. Um, and we have two choreographers, Rohan, who is a researcher and working in a company in Galway. Uh, Mansi is a researcher and working at APC in UCC. Uh, we have a, a current student, Bonnie, who is a manager, and Sneha, um, who is working as a legal counsel and uh, is a social media manager. few of them are based in Dublin, Carlo and Dundalk, due to the nature of jobs. Mm. Um, so Atma is unique in its way as we intend to promote Indian culture through both classical dances such as Bharatnatyam and Kathak, and folk dances like Garba, Dandia, Karagam, Bihu, Bangra, and many more. And that's what Atma is about. Big, big crew. And Lekha, is there a big Indian dance scene here in Cork at the moment? So when I started, the scene wasn't big, but now the increase in Indians in Ireland, subclubs also host Bollywood nights. Mm. And there are more and more events celebrating Indian festivals. All these need a professional troupe to perform for the event, and that's where Atma comes in. So you're seeing it growing then. And is that, um, so some people, you know, it's part of their culture, but are you getting newcomers to Indian dancing and people who are not from an Indian background? Um, yes, we have got, um, we have inquiries from other communities uh, like Irish people 
who would want to learn Indian dancing and our choreographers do teach them. Uh, they do run dance classes. Uh, for some, it's their passion, but for some, it's a stress buster, and that's where Atma lends a helping hand. We welcome all people of all expertise levels, as long as discipline, hard work, and passion for dance are a pa part of their vocabulary. Uh, so you'd ask a question about newcomers. Yes, I would like to tell a small incident where one of my team member currently, uh, she joined in 2019. She was very nervous. Mm. Now currently she's working in Clonakilty. She was a non-dancer herself. When she came, uh, you know, very nervous, but the growth I witnessed was remarkable. Now she accepts any challenges thrown at her, and that's what Atma does. <laughs> we help them to build their personal development skills and help them to explore other Indian dance forms and think outside the box. You said people use it as a stress buster. Is that because while you're doing the dance training and the dance moves, you're just concentrating on that and nothing else? Um, yes, the focus is one thing, but also, you know, uh, many, as I said, many of them are students. Um, so when, they, you know, just to relieve that kind of pressure, okay, after the assignments, they want something to enjoy yeah. and they find uh, dance is, you know, is one form of getting involved and forgetting about it, everything else. And, you know, we see a lot of tutorials on YouTube and TikTok showing Bollywood dance moves. So is that the area that most people are interested in? Uh, so while YouTube and TikTok challenges and tutorials help spread the Bollywood virus, Atma focuses more on the classical and folk dances that are unique to India, thus creating its own niche even among other groups in Ireland. Okay. So we are, we are not just to Bollywood, as I meant. It's, it's you know, um, because there are other Bollywood. Yeah. Yeah, I think like well, here in Ireland, we're very familiar with Bollywood because of, I suppose, like the, the films and what we see on social media. But there are other Indian dances then as well. It's not just the Bollywood one. Yes, yes. And that's what we are focuses on. Lovely. The other dance forms. And like, I know that uh, I mentioned there about the St. Patrick's Day Parade and the surprise proposal mm -hmm. during that. And you have been raising money for Cork Penny Dinners, which is brilliant. Um, and you are taking event bookings, but how can people learn the moves themselves? Like, do you run classes or are there classes in Cork? Um, so first, let me answer to the fundraiser. In respect mm. to fundraiser, Katrina is my friend for a few years and I have been volunteering every now and then with her. She's one of them who's my inspiration. So we wanted to contribute something to the community of Cork that nurtured our passion by providing us an audience and stage to perform. So we did a fundraiser to raise funds for Cork Penny Dinners and all funds that were raised via GoFundMe was donated to Cork Penny Dinners. Uh, so people can learn their Bollywood moves by themselves. But as I had mentioned earlier, we do a variety of Indian dance forms. Mm. So we help to refine them. I and mean, we run classes. We have workshops uh, for various... Uh, like many people, as you had mentioned just now, that they know only Bollywood. Yeah. So we do run Bollywood classes, but then we also try to incorporate the other dance forms so that they can come and learn and they can know that Indian dances are not just Bollywood. It's outside, you know, that mm. frame. Uh, so we have uh, our former, we have a, uh, we, we used to have a choreographer and now even a current choreographer, Rohan. They take uh, dance classes for most of the dance styles. We have Mansi, a current choreographer who takes Kathak classes, which is a classical dance form. Yeah. And so our main focus is to perform for events and participate for competitions. And uh, so we meet and practice at weekends in the Fitzgerald Park in UCC. Uh, so not everyone comes for all events. As I said, we are, we are a huge group. 
So we have different teams performing for different events depending on their availability. Do you find that a lot of Irish companies now are looking to book um, somewhere, somebody like Atma Indian Dance Troupe for events because it's something a little bit different that we're not used to here? Yeah, because um, uh, the Cork City Council had contacted me for Glow Christmas and I was shocked when they wanted us to perform, mm. um, you know, some, uh, and we did actually in Christmas and it was something fun and we could see the audience reaction that they loved Indian dancing. They would want to know more about it yeah. because for them, I think for other communities, every time Bollywood comes first, but then, uh, you know, we wanted to promote everything else as well uh, because India is a huge you know it's a big country we have different cultures um, so our, our dances are also different it's not just Bollywood you mentioned at the start, Lekka, that you are a microbiologist during the day and, um, you know, you were talking about stress busting. Do you find that Indian dance helps you balance your life out? To me, uh, apart from work, the one thing I love is dancing and helping people. It gives me happiness. So I don't think I need anything else to kind of <laughs> balance out in my life. I have, uh, you know, it's uh, for me, I love both, uh, you know, microbiology during the day dance during the weekend and you know in between I do some social work so that's my life I kind of plan it out such a way you're a busy lady (laughs) (laughs) and if people want to learn more about it you do have a Facebook page yeah we we have a Facebook page at Atma Indian Dance Corp Troop and we also have an Insta page we also have a YouTube channel so if they like us you can you know have a look at our dance performance what we did earlier um, and they can contact us via email, which is atmadancecock at gmail.com. Brilliant. Thank you, Dr. Lekka Manan Magarsaria of the Atma Indian Dance Troupe. And speaking of summertime and gigs and all that's happening over the summer, um, a lot of people will be packing up for either foreign holidays or breaks away here in Ireland. And one thing that everybody wants to bring on their holiday is, of course, a good book. And you might consider um, including this year um, as your summer read, The Amusements by Angela Flannery. Good morning, Angela. Good morning, Fiona. Thank you for joining me. Angela, it is a great summer read, especially because it is uh, based in a seaside town. It is based in Tremor in County Waterford. Um, and, uh, you know, the you, you get the whole sense of visitors coming to the town. And, you know, there's the whole description of the sense of smells and, and tastes that you get beside a seaside town. But the, the story itself is it's based on... Um, people who who want to leave a small town um, and believe that, you know, the grass is greener and there's a bigger, better world out there. So even though it's based in Tremor in County Waterford, could it be applicable to any small town really in Ireland? Yeah, I think that's probably true. I mean, the amusement at its heart is a story of Helen and Stella, who are teenagers growing up in Tremor. But, um, you know, they're at that age where they're becoming independent and they're starting to look to the future. And like anybody, even not even in a small town, I think even in a suburb or in cities, you're mm-hmm. looking beyond and who are you going to be? But I do think, yeah, it probably is more applicable to small towns, but also there's a peculiarity about it because it's a seaside resort, which is a very unique place and uh, so the amusements follows their stories you know who do they grow up to be and do they stay friends and it's told from the point of view of Helen and Stella but also their families and the cast of characters around Tremor who are you know, just fictional creations but the local um, 
guest house owner, the caravan park owner, the local butcher, their teachers, all of that, you know. It's actually very amusing that um, you have the whole list of uh, rules that people have to stick to mm-hmm. if they if they stay in the town. And, you know, I myself am from a small town and uh, it's it's so true that, you know, if you, you stay there and the way people look at you and, you know, the small town talk that people have and, you know, when you're young, you want to escape that. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly at, you know, 16 or 17, uh, you do. But I think, you know, the amusements follows these two characters um, over 25 years. And of course, while you do want to escape, there's always the pull of family and community that brings you back. Because mm. while it can be a little bit stifling to be that age and want independence and want to be out, um, there's also great support in family and community. So it's that push and pull. And to me, um, you know, I'm not from Tremor, but I know it very well. I kind of, there's almost a tidal pull there and I liked that kind of synchronicity between um, the sea and the community and whether these girls get out and whether they stay friends and you know ultimately you find out do they come back are they happy with their lives um, is the one that goes and the one that stays you know which one of them ends up in the better position and like obviously yeah. we don't want to give away too much because we want mm. people to read the book but there is that uh, you know is is the grass greener is there a bigger better world outside of where you live yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think we all we all have that. I mean, certainly, when I was a small child, we went to Tremor on holidays. Like I said, I didn't grow up there. Um, I didn't spend my teens there, and I would have emigrated in my 20s. Um, but I'm much older now, and my mother has actually moved to Tremor. She retired and moved there. So I went back there as an adult, you know, with my siblings, with the next generation of Flannerys. And we had a very different view of it then, you know, and we've watched our children absolutely love it. But I wonder if they were growing up as teenagers there, would they do that natural thing and want to get out and want to get away? But, you know, you don't just, in the amusements, it's not just the stories of these two characters. It's everybody in the town. You know, there's a whole different generations. You know, there's a lot of older characters. The guest house owner is much older. The local butcher is much older. And those people also have to conform to what's expected of them in a small town. And I often think, you know, when you look at communities, that you don't really know what's going on in people's lives, that people sometimes keep their individual interests or secret passions to themselves in order to fit in. And I think that that happens in every community. It's not simply, you know, there's a universality to that. It's not simply about Tremor or a small town in Cork or Kerry or Galway or wherever. I think it happens the world over. And a lot of the characters in your book, obviously they're all fictional, but did you, when you were, you know, your summers in in Tremor and you spent Mm -hmm. your time in Tremor, were there different characteristics from people that you, uh, you know, remembered and used them when you were writing up your characters? No, not really. I mean, I found it much more interesting to, well, really what happened was I read a short story by William Trevor, which was actually set in Cork and Tremor, um, called Honeymoon in Tremor. And it's about a, um, a young farmhand who's boarded out from an orphanage in Cork to this farm in County Cork. And uh, he falls in love with the farmer's daughter and they don't think very much of him until mm. she gets pregnant by somebody else and nobody will marry her except for the farmhand. And they go off on their honeymoon to Tremor. And that's where Davy Toome, the farmhand, realises, you know, the sort of the extent of um, the deception that he's gotten wrapped up yeah. in. So William Trevor's short story, people know William Trevor from the Ballroom of Romance, he wrote that. So when I read Honeymoon and 
Tremor. I thought, you know, that's really interesting that nobody that I know of other than Trevor has used Tremor as a fictional backdrop. And so I set about writing a couple of short stories in them. And it was one of those short stories that really inspired me to keep going with Tremor. And Helen, one of the characters in The Amusements, was the character in that short story. So I just developed it from there. So I created a whole cast of characters around that little girl. Um and who she grew up to be. But, you know, your question's an interesting one because, you know, if you're very specific in writing about a place, you have to be careful because people have said to me, well, why didn't you disguise it? And I kind of thought, well, look, it's impossible to disguise somewhere like Tremor. As soon as I mentioned the Metal Man or the amusements, everyone's going to know where I'm talking about. Yeah. So I tried to be as authentic as possible with the location. And my family are originally from South Kilkenny and Waterford and they still live down there. So I had their voices and their way of speaking in my head. I grew up listening to them. So I found it possibly it was easier for me as a writer to come up with authentic voices for my characters because I kind of had the comfort of knowing that it would sound authentic because my family or my mother's family, the powers, of course, from Waterford, yeah. South Kilkenny, you know, that they come from there. So I was comfortable with that. But it was much more freeing to be able to just invent people and write about them. So, yeah, it's entirely fictional. And Angela, you were in a past life an award-winning broadcaster and uh, you gave up your career to write this book. Um, was it difficult to write your first, this is your first novel, I know you had written some short stories before, but it's your first uh, novel, was it a difficult process? Yeah, it's very long, but it's a labour of love. I mean, I had two dreams, you know, to be a journalist and to write a book. Um, but I didn't think, I didn't know how to become a writer. I said being a journalist seemed much more possible, but that <laughs> took me a long time too. So I worked in radio for most of my career. I worked in Today FM as a news editor and reader and a producer. Um, but I was writing all the time. You know, I had a freelance kind of sideline writing for The Independent and for Image Magazine and all of that. So I was writing and I was secretly writing short stories. But of course, you know, news journalism in particular is very time consuming and you just drop things because you have to go back to work. So in the end, I suppose I got into my mid to late 40s and I thought, no, look, you're going to have to have a go at this. So I am. Yeah, so I changed careers to do it. Um, I still do the odd bit of broadcasting and, Mm. um, you know, freelance writing. But uh, yeah, no, it was just something I wanted to do. And it did, you know, a background in journalism definitely helped. It was funny writing this, the broadcasting in particular. I I didn't expect that. I mean, okay, the feature writing, you kind of think, well, that will help you with deadlines and facing the blank screen every day. But the broadcasting, I think, really helped me in terms of dialogue. And I didn't expect that, but I suppose you develop an ear for it after working radio and also in editing because you have to be brutal when you're editing mm. in in news for radio you know I mean there's just no fat on it and so that was good but the most unexpected thing was when I was writing it um, writing the amusements that one of the characters turns on the car radio and this person is on the radio, Maggie Crow, the presenter of the Early Bird show on the local radio station, who's completely fictitious, but she just came to me fully formed. Mm. And all of the scenes, whenever someone turns on a radio, there's Maggie Crow. And you never meet that character except for when someone turns on the radio. <laughs> yeah. But it was such a kind of pleasure to me for her to just pop into my head, fully formed, and what that means for the local radio. You know, she commentates on mm. what's going on in the town. And if people, the locals want to talk and want to get stuff off their chest, they phone Maggie Crow and do it. And so, yeah, I didn't expect broadcasting to kind of help me in that way, but I suppose it was then you it comes out of you. It does indeed. Angela, it's a great book. Best of luck with it. It's called The Amusements. Um, Angela Flallery, um, best of luck with the book. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. 
We're getting reports of an incident on the South Mall. A fire alarm apparently went off, um, but it doesn't, the the cause of uh, the fire alarm can't be found. It seems at the minute there are four uh, tenders from the Cork City Fire Brigade at that incident. Um, And if we get more on that, I'm sure uh, the news team will bring it to you later on this afternoon. We were speaking earlier as well about your family tree and um, Fiona was talking about uh, finding out your, your family history and Mary says I did uh, my heritage test and I'm 15% Eastern European meanwhile the Cork Kaipu says after spending a few weeks researching my family tree and successfully going back to the 1850s I'm absolutely gutted to learn that most of my relatives from that era have since passed away hashtag gone too soon thank you very much for that Cork Kaipu I hope you get over your grief um, now it's uh, we were talking there about summer reads but what about your summer sandwiches? Agnes Boucher Hayes of Food Cooking at LIT joins me now to talk about some great summer sandwiches. Good morning, Agnes. Morning, how are you? I'm very well, I'm very well. It is definitely the weather for sandwiches, isn't it? Even for dinner, it doesn't have to necessarily be lunch. Well, well that's it. Uh, the thing with sandwiches, it, it definitely, I mean, well, where I am now at the minute, the weather, it's toasted sandwich weather. Um, <laughs> it, we, 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 we've lost the sun, you know, temporarily. But sandwiches actually can be used for breakfast, lunch, dinner, treats when you come home after maybe you've been out for a while. You know, they're good snack food as well. Mm. Um, usually a sandwich is very simply a soft bread, some condiments, maybe some proteins or protein alternatives, and put in a tasty, you know, taste, tasty luscious bun or or between you know, to eat. That's that's usually what it is. It's very simple. They started out the first European recognition of the word sandwich was in seventeen sixty two with John Montague, the fourth Earl of Sandwich, and he loved gambling. Mm. So he would sit at the gambling table and he would just ask people. He he didn't want to get up. He got hungry. So he asked for some bread and some meat to be brought to him at the table. And that's where apparently the entomology of the word sandwich came from. And I suppose, you know, now in modern times, um, you know, you can't beat just a plain sandwich with ham in it. But, (laughs) Mm. you know, what can we do to make the sandwich more exciting other than adding a bit of coleslaw? There's lots of actually, there's loads of things that you can do to a sandwich. It depends on what you, what, what your tastes are, what your, you know, your predications are, what you'd like to eat. Um, I, my personal favourite is a bacon lettuce tomato sandwich. I think there's nothing nicer mm. in this whole earthly world, except in the middle of the winter when it's a toasted ham and cheese. They're my go-tos. But if you wanted to stretch yourself a little bit, you can look at different, very, very, you know, change the type of bread that you're using and or maybe use a bread alternative. So um, when I mean changes, when I say t- change the type of bread, we don't have to have white bread the whole time. Sometimes yeah. white bread is really good in a sandwich. But bagels, sourdoughs, open sandwiches, closed sandwiches, wraps, we can cook them like, or, you know, you can have a flat, flat, you know, wrap and have uh, your filling in it and cook, you know, cover it, have it over and fry it and that's a quesadilla type thing so there's lots of countries in the world that there are many different types of sandwiches um, so you, you can stretch yourself beyond that a lovely few nice ones that I came up with was the classic open beef sandwich you know so you could take a, a, a take on a, on a Reuben and uh, you would have maybe a beef instead and you'd have some sauerkraut so they're kind of different things and that's a little bit of the American and the Eastern European mm. but also a lovely one that I saw was a fried mozzarella 
and olive finger, you know, finger sandwiches. So you'd actually just get some tapenade, put it on some, and this is one where you use a white bread, put it on some white bread, put your mozzarella in the middle, have a little bit of egg wash and then pan fry your sandwich. So there, you know, that's a really different type of flavor combination than your average everyday sandwich. But you can have a lemon, a lemon chicken sandwich as well is very nice. If you oh, have some chicken left over. Yeah, no, this is a nice one now. If you had some chicken left over after a roast or if you'd barbecued it. Um, so just take the extra bits of chicken, add a little bit of lemon juice, lemon rind, and um, then whatever flavouring. You know, you could put in some little chopped up cucumber, finely chopped up cucumber maybe, and small bit of cherry tomato and a little bit of lemon rind and the lemon juice. Mix it together and then put it in a wrap. That's qu- that's quite nice as well. Oh, that sounds lovely, yeah. Yeah, so and, then... I suppose, Agnes, we're, yeah. we're a coastal county, great access to seafood. Mm. Have you any seafood mm. um, ideas for sandwiches? Well, there was a lovely one I came across, which was um, a tuna anchovy and on sourdough with a little bit of avocado. Mm. So that would be maybe that would I'm thinking fresh, like a fresh piece of tuna rather Lovely. than a tinned yeah. rather than tin tuna. So, you know, if you again, if you had cooked extra or if you'd some left over, you could use that. And then just you might use uh, just the anchovy a little. These are for real seafood lovers. Mm. The anchovy wouldn't be for me, not my flavor. But <laughs> you just you can and but you can make it as strong or as weak. The flavor of the anchovy, you know, if some people are if, if you're introducing it to your to your palate, yeah. you know, a small, a small amount. So mix that with the avocado spread it on some sourdough and then put the tuna over it really nice you know and could you replace really the anchovy if you didn't like anchovies could you replace them with something she could put in a little bit of olive chop mm. up a few olives and then you could you know just think about the flavor combinations a lovely one as well obviously you've got your open um, your open prawn sandwiches or a smoked salmon but i thought a nice twist on the smoked salmon might be a little bit of wasabi so Lovely. in your cream cheese, uh, just add a small, again, a small bit of wasabi, which is quite hot and peppery. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, yeah, so that would that would be a that would that would be a nice alternative. And with that, you could put in a little bit of lime. Lime is a nice alternative to lemon. I find lemon sometimes can be quite acidic, whereas a lime can give a little bit of a depth of flavor without giving the harshness. So, you could, you know, that's a nice alternative as well. And you can use the rind as well as the juice from the lime. Lovely. And a lobster roll. If if you were if you were being really fancy, a lobster roll. So you get a soft piece of bread, and you could get some lobster if you'd been out and you'd cut some in pots or whatever, um, and you'd cooked it. You know, bit of lobster, and then just very simply a little bit of mayonnaise, a little bit of um, uh, butter. You know, uh, lettuce, butter leaf lettuce, and mm. then a little bit of tomato. Very very simple, but a fabulous one if you're traveling is if you get a a, 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 a hard bun, um, you know, a soft roll. Yes. Or sorry, hard roll, crispy roll. Lovely. Take out yeah. the centre of it and fill that with what you'd like to put into it. So you could do like a niçoise. So that could be some uh, olives, a uh, little bit of egg, a little bit of tuna, a little bit of green bean, olive oil, a little bit of vinegar and put the lid back on it. Wrap it in um, cling film into the cooler if you were going, you know, if you were traveling mm-hmm. with your cooled bottles of, you know, if you'd frozen bottles of water in this hot weather and that will keep it cool as well. But when you take it out, all of the lovely juices are in the inside, but you still have the cr- crunchiness on the outside. So that's, that's why you remove the, well. the inside of it then? The inside. And then you put everything into the middle and you, you stack it in. You jam everything that you want in. It can be as simple as lettuce, tomato, chicken mayonnaise. It can, you know, it can be as complicated or as, or as uncomplicated as you like. Yeah. Lovely. So that's just another type. 
And ricotta, uh, ricotta is another lovely ingredient that you can use on open sandwiches. So that's lovely with a little bit of fruit, like an apricot or a nectarine. If you just have a little bit of like a, it's like a bruschetta, really, mm. uh, a little bit of toast, a little bit of ricotta, and then your um, fruit, either your uh, apricot or your nectarine or a peach. And if you had a little bit of ham, that Gorgeous. would be lovely as well. Agnes, they mm. sound amazing. God, I'm starving now. <laughs> now and I'm sure people will be going on the lunch breaks in the next hour. I know, yeah, people will be yeah, going on the lunch breaks now no in an hour rolls. or two. And they can, yeah, no I'm sure. No chicken rolls now. No chicken rolls. No chicken rolls. <laughs> All right, okay. <laughs> oh, but that's a kind of okay. a favourite of us, isn't it? <laughs> it is, it is, it is, it is. The, the chicken roll is one of the staples. It's just because it has the crunchiness, the salt, the sh- it's got the fat and the sugar and the, yeah. the sh- you know, in, in, in the, in, in the, the, the in the chicken, you know, so yeah, we are predisposed to that as well. Yeah, you can't beat it. <laughs> Agnes, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so You're much for joining us. Pleasure. And that was Agnes Boucher, Hayes food cooking lecturer at LIT. Um, earlier, I was speaking to Anna from the Mealy Moos, and Kira has been in touch to say, I'm one of the girls involved with the Mealy Moos. It's the best thing ever. I would highly recommend anyone to get involved in a local club. I made great friends through it. Well done, Anna, on speaking on our behalf and promoting Gaelic for mothers and others. And that came in from Kira. Thank you for that. And uh, that's my lot done for today. Thanks to Fergal, Richard, and Wayne for helping out today. And I will be back with you tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your day.